welcome to this week's edition of Talk on Tech. I am Patrick Smith, and we're doing an interview-only episode again. This time, though, it's going to be a three-way interview with myself, Patrick Smith, and I'm joined by Scott Nicholas. Hello. And I'm also joined by Ryan Satterfield. How's it going? Um, This is going to be interesting because we're going to kind of roam around on different topics, but it's going to be a lot of great information, so I, I hope you all enjoy. First... I think what we're going to do, though, is take a trip down memory lane. Normally, when we do these interviews, I interview somebody, ask about their history in IT, and I ask how they got where they got. But Ryan and I actually went to middle school, high school, and college together. Yes, so, sir. So there's going to be a lot of things he talks about and that I talk about. So in case you're not familiar with my history about uh, about IT, I'll be interjecting my little roadmap as we talk about his roadmap. And then both of us were some of Scott's very first Microsoft students. So that's why we've got this three-way conversation that's going to be taking place today on the podcast. Yes, so I can ride herd on you guys, which is my role normally anyway. So Yes, yes. And so (laughs) you'll get to hear about a lot of um, fun jokes, fun stories, gaffes that took place in Scott's classes. Did you say gaffes? Gas. Oh, okay. Got you there. Gas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there might have been gas. Yeah. I'm sure there probably was. But yes. But first, Brian, when was your first big connection with computers that you can remember? First, uh, really, step into IT was uh, in high school. Um, I got involved in it, uh, being a, um, a library media assistant. I believe you were one too, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. Yeah. I didn't know if you had done that as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We. Uh, I think we maybe did it different periods uh, mm-hmm. though during the day, but uh, that was my first step uh, into it. And uh, the library instructor at the time, Mrs. Hale, mm-hmm. um, uh, had the task of upgrading their entire network uh, from Windows 3.1 to Windows 95. And uh, it was uh, it was I came in on the weekend if I'm not mistaken really um, and helped her out with that and uh, that just kind of got me hooked in it really I was like man this is a lot of fun um, doing that and uh, yeah that's what really really kind of sparked a thing uh, there for me uh, for IT and uh, then after that she had me even teach an introductory classes to freshmen on how to use the campus network um, how to log in how to launch TCP IP I, that was Windows 3.1 I think yeah, uh, now I remember about that. Uh, but uh, yeah, we we did that as well. So I kind of did like a uh, instructor uh, led uh, thing, helping them out, uh, getting everyone orientated uh, with with the internet. Well, I know uh, back that then I when I had the class, it was um, it was my my second semester of my senior year. Like I had it in the morning, mm-hmm. and so um, this is something you can definitely chime in about scott because you're going to have had a lot more experience with what we talk about uh, you know we were kind of new to this but um i remember that we were using trumpet mm-hmm. because windows 3.1 and even the original 95 did not have a tcp ip stack nope. so you were having we were using trumpet that was our tcp ip stack of yeah, choice to get to get the actual networking you had to go to windows 311 mm-hmm. windows for work groups well and also we were also running novell yes the Energizer Bunny of networking operating systems. And I remember when we were running Novell, we would sometimes be able to go over to the um, admin station and, and be allowed to peruse people. Like you could, I remember in Novell, you could go in and actually say how many concurrent sessions someone was allowed to have. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, years later, I assumed when we had your NT4 class, 
that we would have also been able to say how many times someone could be logged into the network. But as I've learned years later, and even now, I can log on like 95 times at MCTC if I want to. It doesn't really stop me. That's right. So, um, you know, the the thing about uh, being on Windows, you know, Windows 3.1 or Windows 3.1.1 on Novell, um, that's where I found that the installation and uninstallation of um, Windows 95 was uh, was very efficient because we found that it would not run Doom. And so if it if Windows 95 was not going to run Doom, there was no way I wanted to mess around with that. And so I, I was working at the computer store at the <laughs> That's time. That's the gold and, standard. Yeah, you know, and so it was like, um, I'm wanting to say it was like 20... Six discs or something like that to to install Windows ninety five not not a CD over top of Windows three one or three one one, and um and then installed it because I said well we you know we're going to support this stuff so I don't know why I want a start button but I guess we're going to try and find out and then no doom and so immediately uh, trying to uninstall that it take you right back to Windows three one just like you started off and then back to doom but you know we still had to go eventually anyway and finally figured out you know how to get it to work because mm-hmm. yeah you know, priorities. Well, and, you know, people listening to this may go, oh, well, you know, I know what it's like to work for uh, the media center in a library. And you may know these days, but I do have to kind of do one of those, you know, back in my day, what Ryan and I dealt with at, at Wayne High School in the 90s was we had maybe a lot of 486 machines. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. they were all in the library. We weren't one of those schools that had very many computers out in the classrooms. You had to go to the library. Or you had to go to like our word processing classroom. I mean, I, I remember taking keyboarding, and keyboarding was on legitimate typewriters. It was yes, the, it yep. was the word processing class that took place next door. Which I have to say, I'm actually happy I learned to type on an actual typewriter. Yeah, because you couldn't cheat. Like you you your hands weren't tied behind your back; they were handcuffed, and so like you were either going to get it or you weren't because there was no backspace. And so. I did not get it. I mean, I, I was told by one of the, um, did some work for the state police headquarters, and the sergeant there said, you know, you are the fastest four-fingered typist I've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, you know, I, I'm a musician. I, I took typing, and I still just, you know, that does not work for me. The, the four-finger thing works adequately, I guess. So that's, I stand back, I'm a professional, so. Right. <laughs> well, to go back a little bit in our history, because I wasn't for sure when, when your first computer experience came around, Ryan, Ryan and I did not go to elementary school. You actually went to Lavalette, I'm guessing. Right, yes. And so I went to Wayne. But those two schools then consolidated into a, a, the same middle school, like everyone Fed funneled into, into it. it. Right. Yeah, so my first my first experience meeting Ryan and, and becoming friends was in middle school. Yeah, and, in sixth grade. And yeah. Had homeroom together. So yeah, sixth grade. We were both in Mrs. Blankenship's room, and we were just talking about earlier how uh, we hit it off so well. We had to do a skit. We had to do a commercial skit. Yep. And uh, in Living Color was a very big popular TV show back in back in that time, and they had a a rip off of the Home Shopping Club, which they called the Homeboy Shopping Club, where the implication or the uh, you know the perceived notion of the show was that maybe they had acquired those goods through uh, illegitimate means, <laughs> maybe it was hot material, but we actually kind of did our own little skit, riffing off of that, having the Homeboy Shopping Club for our own, so. So yeah, we we were already 
taking to the stage at that point, Scott, well before we, we ever possibly did it in your classroom. Yeah, you, you guys sound like you're just so professional and everything, and I totally remember things a little different when you were in my class, you know. But Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in the timeline. Uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> I, I was originally exposed to computers in, at an early age, and I, yeah. I was thinking well, about, you know, you were talking about, uh, yeah, I, and I was an instructor, and I was basically showing them, you know, how to send pop-up windows onto every machine everywhere on campus or whatever. <laughs> oh, I remember that now. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, the gold net send command. Yes. I, I know that <laughs> or um, no, yeah, net send, that at, yep. at some point, like, I remember uh, Jason Thacker moved in at one point. Yeah, so, yeah. so, like, there, there was, I'm sure, like, even you, Scott, or there were friends that you were really close to certain years and then other people came in and so like there was a, an ebb and flow but ryan and i we always stayed in contact That's and true. stuff throughout school but the one time that completely crystallizes our um relationship i feel which when i say you'll probably you'll probably go yep that sounds more like them i stayed over at ryan's house one night and for some reason we decided to fall asleep in a tent in like, the basement. Yeah, one of those, like, you know, pop-up tents you put up. And so mm-hmm. we decided to fall asleep in the tent. And uh, I never have been a fan of waking up. <laughs> yeah, so, you're a very so, heavy sleeper. So the the next morning, I can only assume Ryan woke up early, and I did not. Because when I did wake up, he was not in the room. He was nowhere. And so I go to get out of the tent and those tents, they have two zippers for some reason. I don't know why, but if you were to lock those with like one of those little crappy locks you can buy for a suitcase, suitcase lock, yep. as you would start to pull one zipper, the other one would immediately rezip. So yes. you'd, ha- you'd have about the clearance of about an inch and a half. I was I was locked in the yep. tent. Guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how that happened. Yeah. So, um, and as he said, it was in the basement. And so I, I did learn that their house was very insulated because, <laughs> because I was I was screaming quite a while. And usually, you know, when you get up first thing in the morning, what do you need to do? You need to go to the bathroom. Well, it, it really, I don't really remember having that much of an issue, which is the fact that I was locked in the tent. That's yeah. why I always carry a Swiss Army knife with me. Uh, you know, no matter where I am, it's, it's your friend. Um, you can get you out of situations like that. You never yeah. know when you might get locked in a tent. Yeah. That's and I, right. I think I think I finally yelled enough to where your dad came down. I don't know oh, where gosh. I don't know where you were though, man. Like you, you God, must have gone either. down the street to someplace. And I was just like, "Can you get me out of here?" And he's like, "I don't have the key to this thing." So, so yeah, that was. That was, in a nutshell, um, you know, the pranks. The, uh, yes, the I can see Ryan, you know, motivating as quickly as possible out of the area when his dad was coming down, probably. It's yeah. Like, I need to get yeah. away from this. I remember coming to your house, Patrick, and um, uh, we'd play Chuck Yeager Flight Simulator on probably <laughs> your 486 or 386 or who knows what it was at the time. But uh, we, we would uh, take turns climbing the plane as far up until the sky as it would go and then you know having it point straight down until the wings flew off and we recorded all these different crashes that were just awesome yeah it it was Uh, i mean it was a single it was a single three and a half floppy game that you could play and i still got it but it was on a 2d6 i think and i remember the plane i think the plane was called an f 105 maybe a thunderbolt starfighter and it was 105 star for some reason it was it was brown but we would we could you know, you had to use your keys one through five for your thrusters, and we would get really high. And then if you hit six, it was like the afterburners. And so we would point it straight down, and then it would eventually rip the wings off, and you could hit the E for eject. And you could play back your, your whole setup, and we could watch a little guy 
fall to the ground, and you could choose to allow his parachute to come out or not. Because if you don't hit E again, Splat. he wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, that that describes perfectly the. I think one of the very final scenes in the right stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Exactly. He, mm-hmm. he took that plane up. He went away. He almost got into space. It looked dark out there, and then all of a sudden, it fired, flamed out, and he came down and ended up having to eject, and all the plane crashed. All that stuff. I have seen um, that movie. Do your Very parents good. still have a pond in their yard? I remember taking turns shooting at a, a decoy duck with a BB gun. Yes. <laughs> I remember doing that yes. as well oh, um, during those times. Uh, so I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't remember if we ever sunk that duck or not. But. No. I mean, I mean, my dad did get really furious because he said, you know, the whole point is that's supposed to float on top of the pond. <laughs> um, and years before that, uh, another friend, I remember coming over. My dad had recently got an, an excavator and like dug out the pond and made it deeper. And I took with a 110 camera a bunch of pictures of us throwing giant rocks and, <laughs> and big mud dirt things in there. And so when he went to go get the film, he was like, you do realize I paid someone to dig that stuff out of the pond, right? Like, I, I don't want you to throw it back in. So, yeah, a lot of the stuff dealing with the pond he he was never a, a big fan of at all. So yeah, you're like, hey, so what does that pay anyway, Dad? I mean, I think we could fix that if you want, but yeah, yeah, yeah. he yeah, we we usually found a way to get into to some sort of trouble. Yeah, here or there, and I even remember, um, I remember you helped um, broker a deal between me and Jason Thacker. I bought a VHS tape that had a copy from Liquid Television TV. A little cartoon short by the name of Frog Baseball, which featured oh, two yes. people by the name of Beavis oh, and Butthead. Yes. Yeah, the Beavis and Butthead which, days. Which got, I mean, it later got banned because <laughs> Pete, yeah. uh-huh. I mean, PETA was not a fan of people, you know, possibly picking up. <laughs> I don't up, think I can uh, do that voice picking anymore. Picking up frogs and, and uh, hitting them with baseballs. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. I think you heard it a lot back in the day. Oh, right? yes, <laughs> I think I did. So, but yeah, in, in high school, I know we both were library technicians, but so. We had a lot of computers in there. At one point, weren't you also a um, petroleum distillate refueling engineer? <laughs> I did work at a gas station in Lavalette, yes. <laughs> yeah. I was, yeah. We're I was, talking technical, te- you know, yeah. technicians, engineers, whatever. So I was a gas station attendant. I, I'm, you know, I, I wrote down the numbers of how much gasoline we sold. and uh, That's a profession um, in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it was a, it was a very interesting time we because um, we didn't... <laughs> We didn't get a lunch break. So what she said was, you can eat whatever you want while you're on the clock because that way you won't get an actual lunch break. So, I mean, I drink a lot of Snapple. I would go over and eat like little Debbie's. I mean, I apparently had a metabolism back then. So uh, yeah. it, it was doing very, very good at that point. So it was it was fun to work at the gas station. And I would regularly like get up on the counter and do river dance on the counter. Um you know the bank bags like you can get from Bank One? Oh, yeah. The zipper bags? Mm-hmm. I would take those, and they fit perfectly on my head, and it looked like I was wearing one of those Navy hats the Navy men wear. Yeah, like from 1940s or whatever. And yeah, you know, or or if you turned it to where it was horizontal, I looked like a jolly pirate, you know, with, with a pirate oh, hat. Or mateys, I'm up on the counter. Um, or there were these bags. I guess all the different paper bags you could buy had different numbers on them. Like I guess it told you what they were. Like there was an 8 oh, yeah. or a 10 yeah. or a 12. A number 10 bag, which if you sold a uh, little Bud Light uh, ponies, they called them, little very, very small bottles that were like 12 ounces, that bag 
fit very, very tightly on my head. I could pull it down, and I looked like a chef that was wearing a brown paper bag for uh, for my hat. Yeah, I, I would just work for hours, acting, you know, like nothing was different. People would be looking at me so odd. I'd just be uh, be doing that. So it, it was, was like your dinner and a show. Yeah, or I gasoline mean, and a show. Yeah, I mean, they would come for the come for the gasoline, stay for the show. Exactly. Well, you know, like I say, that is a profession in New Jersey. You're not allowed to pump your own gasoline in um, New Jersey or Oregon. Yeah, I had heard that about New Jersey. I didn't yep. know about the Oregon thing. I guess hmm. it's you know we're trying to ensure some job security there or whatever. I know. Right. Well, I know that um, the only other thing I was going to say is about the library technician. We didn't get to touch the computers very much. Our job ended up being the people who got to roll the carts down the hallways that had the big screen TVs and the VCRs. Yeah, the audiovisual people. Yeah, we got to make sure that the the teachers who may or may not know how to use a VCR got the tape in there. So that, I did that too. So their so their years class could watch like you guys, I'm sure, but yeah. a Christmas story, you know, or yeah, whatever. Put your eye out. Mm-hmm. I remember hacking the phone system, uh, or playing freaking, I guess you could call it the phone, phone system freaking. there at the, at the in school. school. Yeah. Um, remember you could uh, pick up the phone and it would somehow tie into the intercom system above the speaker above each classroom. Oh yes. And you could just, you know, I figured out the dialing scheme to call both the high school and the middle school were linked. Um, so I would just randomly place a call to the middle school. <laughs> so it would beep, um, you know, and then just hang up, you know, and, and I would do that sometimes. And I figured out if you kept pressing nine enough you could reach an outside line and just call anyone that you wanted to <laughs> so yeah those are how fun. kevin mcnick got his start <laughs> that's true yeah. i never i never knew about that although i had heard <laughs> stories from my brother-in-law that they would regularly put um duct tape over those old-fashioned intercoms like you see on tv shows and so then it was like <laughs> is what charlie it brown off. yeah basically it's like charlie brown's what it came off as yeah well then both of us decided to go to Marshall. I was going part of my my senior year. I started into CSD, computer science and software development, and that was the only game in town that I knew about at Marshall. So I went into that. By the time I graduated in '98 and came to the fall, Marshall had decided they didn't want to do the CSD anymore because I'm pretty sure only like four people graduated from that. So they they took that away, and so. I then became an MIS student in the College of Business, Management Information Systems. And so for about another year, I meandered through that, taking economics classes, taking English classes, taking math classes, thinking, when in the world am I going to touch a computer? And I honestly don't know. I don't know what happened or when it happened as to how I even got to the community college. But somebody must have been like, oh, you should go to the community college. They have a whole computer networking option and then i finally transferred over to that so at that point how how was your trajectory to get into the community college with me well for me um i took also some of the dual credit courses in 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 high school um the i wasn't going to marshall at the time i remember you were taking the economics classes i stuck with the dual credit courses uh, that they offered um I look i remember looking at the csd program because i knew i wanted to do something with computers just an FYI, if you hear a dog in the background or you hear a toy like that was just playing there, uh, Ryan has a Pomeranian penny. So, you know, technically we have a four-way conversation possibly. Yep. We'll see how that goes. She got her duck out, so it's, it's yeah, fine. She's, she's got some duct tape now. Yep. So, yeah. yeah, we're good. Oh, there she goes. Yep, there we yeah. are. Duck, so. com- duck commander over there. <laughs> yes. Yep. 
<laughs> so, um, so anyhow, um, I remember looking at the CSD program, and it was just like the math was like just terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible, yes. terrible math. And so um, I did not want to venture there. Um, I remember also looking at the MIS program, and I just, I don't remember seeing a whole lot of computer classes there. Um, so I, I started out, you had to declare a major uh, to take some of those dual credit courses. And I started out as an electronics technician, I think, because I wanted to do something more hands-on, you know, with uh, with electronics. I was always mm -hmm. into uh, I was into electronics growing up as a kid, um, basically. But um, oh yeah, that makes me think. We both um, something else we like bonded over too. My dad had CBs and you had a CB, yep. and we would constantly talk to the truckers on that's the right. CBs. I was rubber chicken. Yep, I was shredder. Yeah, <laughs> shredder. Uh, yeah. Shredder. Yep, that's so right. The, the electronics thing makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. I was into electronics. Uh, my, I attribute that to my parents. So they, when I was a uh, gosh in grade school, they got me those Radio Shack uh, Tandy. I think made in those two hundred and one electronics kits where you can cut on, you know, connect all the little wires and With everything a together. Board, circuit board or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I. I I had two of those things, and man, I was constantly playing around with those. So uh, that's what really kind of got me into the uh, that, that electronics. That really explains some things that happened in my class, I think. But, you know. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> yeah. you have to try different things to see how they yeah, work. Hands-on is hands-on. I mean, yeah. Yep. But uh, so, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I was I was want, really wanted to go into computers. I had uh, met my girlfriend at the time and uh, played around and broke her computer a lot and fixed it and got more involved in, in computers and, and mostly Windows 95, Windows 98. And um, I just remember looking at the uh, I think maybe it was I was talking to an advisor um, and kind of told them, I said, well, you really need the community college option. And um, the electronics was through the community college? It was, right, right. And, and we did have like a special advisor, you know, um, at that time for dual credit uh, classes. And it wasn't until after I graduated high school when, you know, I was, I was preparing to go uh, to Marshall at the time. Um, I saw the option for the um, uh, Associate Applied Science, you know, with computers and networking and programming, et cetera, et cetera. And I had signed on uh, for that particular program. And uh, I'm really glad I did. It's for sure. It yeah. Was... Well, I mean, you you may have been the one that even told me about the community college. I, I honestly don't know. Yeah, I, don't I can't remember, remember that portion as to how I stumbled onto it. Um, but I, I feel, I mean, I have to look back at my transcript, but I feel I went at least a year and a half. Um, and that means, of course, you know, through high school and then a little bit into college before I actually transferred. And when I transferred, I do remember that we had several classes together. Like I remember, for example, Alan Taylor's yeah. 240 class, which was uh, Internet Data Communications. He a gave us that really class too. He really gave us that awesome tour of the entire Drinko library. So that was really yeah, that cool. Was awesome. And that was even before, I think, that we even took any of Scott's or the Cisco classes, maybe. So we were getting an idea what it was about then because that class was geared towards the INET Plus at the time when it was still a certification that was out there. We did have a visual basic to miss Rhonda Scrag and Rhonda broke her leg that semester. We had that, that ankle. Yeah, I remember that. Mm -hmm. And so Ann Todd had to take that class over. And what was interesting was we were also having Ann Todd, at least I was having Ann Todd for operating systems class, the DOS based class. Yeah, I had her in the same class. And that was, yep. I do know it may not have been the same semester, 
But I can guarantee you that the Visual Basic class was her last semester there because she had met a guy, and for the Visual Basic class, we had to do this final presentation, this final program. So I did a, a program that was supposed to tally up, you know, an oil change and how much that cost and, you know, changing wiper blades, something like you'd have at like a Walmart Tire Lube Express. And I called it Anne's Lubingo because we used to make jokes with her about the man she was about ready to just up and escape the uh, the college with. Because, you know, we were teenagers at that time. So, like, we, we, we tried to find, like, the lowest common denominator joke we could make. And so, Ranging hormones. Yeah. Absolutely. And, so, and so she left at the end of that semester. I, I don't remember how many of the Cisco classes you and I were in together. I'm pretty sure. You and I were both in the second Cisco class because the first Cisco class back then, it's when the the curriculum was brand new. The first one was basically Network Plus. It was teaching you the entire OSI model. And the second semester, we used uh, the routers. We had four routers in the classroom. I want to say they were 2500s. I don't think they were called catalysts. What was the line? Catalysts are switches. What's the line for routers called? Because they'd been 2,500 routers. I thought maybe there was like a name for it. But there was four of them. And by the end of that semester, you had to go ahead and set up the clock speed on all of them and make sure that you could talk from one end of the routers to the other end of the routers. And what I would regularly do, there was some command. I don't remember what it is now. And Scott and I have talked about it before. But I would connect to someone's computer or someone's switch or router like Adam. Uh, Adam Eden's in class, and I would send him a message that would kind of pop up like a net send that would say, this router has, um, you know, done an illegal error. You need to reboot your router, which would be completely false. And he would go ahead and reboot his router, which would have not saved his running config, and it'd start back over. So what I'm what I'm telling you all out there is that yes, we also uh, would play pranks, but we, we also trolled a little bit. Yeah, yeah. we we definitely. We had to learn how to play pranks. Like, we were doing it the good way. Like, there was documentation we were having to find that other people wasn't finding, apparently. Apparently, yes. So, I thought it was a message of the day. Maybe it wasn't. But there was some way you could send a message, and we had looked up in the iOS reference that there was some way you could send a message. Um, Well, there's there's banner, the banner message, and then message of the day, MOTD. Um, But, you know, you you have to log in to, to receive that, but... Yeah, right. I, I'm. I'm pretty sure you guys are talking about more like a net send type message that pops up. Yeah, because because uh, it, it, it wouldn't have. I couldn't guarantee that he would just be logging into the router at that point. He needed to right. be in the middle of doing something, and so I was somehow able to send him a message. And they may have taken that away for security reasons, or made it you know be locked down more, something like that. We can only hope so. But um, I would say around the time that Ann Todd left, I think this God, this is where. Your story might start to come back into this, yeah, right? Yeah, she, she left, and, and I came. At all, it's, she was at the end of the um, spring semester, she left, and then I came in the summer. So will you re-explain for people, just so it's all cohesive here, how did you come to the community college? Yes, I, I, um, I was working as a, uh, a systems engineer doing uh, Novell networking primarily, and then you know some Microsoft networking at the time at the computer store in Huntington, and... Um, then I, uh, a guy that worked there with us had, um, he was going to the community college and he knew Rhonda and Rhonda was looking for an adjunct to come in and teach a, uh, a plus course. And so he said, well, you know, maybe you should have Scott do that because I would, I did training for uh, corporate customers and stuff like that on network administration. And so 
I, she asked me if I was interested in it, and I said, yeah, I'd like to give that a try. Um, I'd, I'd never done that before, and that was in 1999. And so uh, uh, I think it was, it was fall 1999, I guess. And um, then at the time, uh, Dr. Hayes, who was uh, the provost of the community college at the time, he had um, he's the uh, president emeritus of Marshall University. He was an interesting guy. I mean, I still he's he's been a mentor to me big time. And he uh, had read about the MCSE program with Microsoft, and and he said, you know, uh, we we need to get into that, even though he wouldn't use email or anything like that. But he knew that we he wanted a, an MCSE program, and so. They were investigating whether they should hire a, a faculty member, you know, full-time faculty member to do that or to uh, kind of like subcontract it with a training company like New Horizons or something to come in. And so they, they asked me to come in and talk about it and, and see, you know, if I was interested. And um, Dr. Hayes just flat, flatly asked me, he said, you know, do you think that you can come in and um, design this program and, and get it off the ground, you know, from, from scratch? And, you know, being young and, and optimistic and foolish, I said, sure, I can do that, uh, even though I'd never tried anything like that. And that's how we ended up with the, with the MCSE program there at uh, what was Marshall Community Technical College and is now um, MCTC Mount West. So, and I started there in the summer of mm-hmm. 2000, full, uh, doing those classes full time. Well, I know that, um, Ryan, we also had Kim Priest for a class because I think we had it was a web class we did. So he either had the first web class with me or was an advanced Java script. And the reason why I remember this is because we were in Corbley Hall 434 and you showed me something I'd never even heard of. We connected to Hobbit, which was, um, oh, yeah. which was a Unix server they had, and you showed me this command called phone. And so for everybody out there who's not familiar, this was well before text messaging. Um, this was around the time of like the AOL instant messenger. But even now with text messaging, you get the message when they finally hit send. This was the very first time I'd ever seen a program that showed you real time the stream of letters and numbers that were being typed oh. that very second. So basically, to kind of explain the, 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 the analogy here in your head, if Ryan and I were typing a sentence at the exact same time, they would merge. If I typed an A and then he typed a, an I next, the screen would say AI. So it didn't wait for you to hit return. It sent it immediately. And that could be a giant garbled mess because you had to be very, very patient. Be like talking over each other on a phone call. You don't really know what the other person's saying. But I remember that happening in Kim Priest's class because for some reason... I don't know. Maybe we were bored at the time or something. That was actually uh, it wasn't. A, I didn't take any of the web classes. Um, <clears throat> it didn't really interest me very much. But I think that was a. Um, it was required for everyone. It was a just a basic word processing class where they taught Excel and Word, et cetera, et cetera. So we would finish up with our work early and help out other people. I remember doing that, and then we just kind of you know <laughs> do our own thing. It, after you know, that. It, it may have been. I remember that when I had to have. An equivalent of IT 101. Uh, at the time, it was CSD 101. Yeah. yeah. And I, I had it, it to Shariar, uh, which was one of the CSD professors. And I, I got into an argument with him the very first day when he was trying to explain that, you know, uh, your BIOS, your CMOS, your BIOS could, could was, was a ROM chip. And so you couldn't write to it. And I said, you know, you might want to add a little footnote there because I just had to flash my BIOS last week. So that's incorrect. Yeah, it's a problem. Like he went through the, yeah, he went through the whole idea of 
this is your quartz crystal and like power gets supplied to the quartz crystal and suddenly you know the computer turns on and final fantasy starts because the crystals are here or something well so he, you know he, to be fair yes um the the early ones were not programmable uh, mm-hmm. that that was true and so he was maybe just a little bit behind things or, or living in the past just a hair and you were on the bleeding edge and you yes. were you know, wanting to do an, an eprom and eprogrammable rom and yeah. i don't know if you ever saw those books scott but i know i'm pretty sure ryan and i had the same books they were these really, really thin books and there was like four of them one was on the internet the inter- and then the and, internet super highway and then one was on um excel one was on word one was on powerpoint they were very very thin books and i almost felt like they were pamphlets more than they were textbooks i think the course was more designed for like continuing education classes for Mm -hmm. adults in all honesty yeah um but uh so but another couple of of wizards like you guys right they had no idea what they were doing right exactly exactly but you know i'm now that i'm thinking about the timeline of things scott starts teaching the microsoft classes in the spring of 2000 yes that, that's right so i was thinking it was summer, I, but you're right. I must have started taking community college classes the fall after we graduated because both you and i ryan had had cisco one cisco two and cisco three and that would have had to have been the fall of 98 the spring of 99 and the fall of 99 mm-hmm. and then that would have meant we would have went to microsoft this that spring because right. scott or uh, uh ryan and i had Definitely Cisco 3 together, because back then in Cisco 3, you were supposed to learn about switches. Cisco 4 would have been a lot of the WAN technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in 3, I started to get really burned out because the professor we had, if you asked a very legitimate question, a question that I had researched in the book, because, you know, typically I wasn't one to ask questions unless I needed to. The answer I would get would be look in the book. And to me, that answer was, I don't know, look in the book. And so I started to get a little agitated by that. So at the end of that semester, I didn't do too hot in that Cisco class. And it's not because, you know, I didn't like Cisco. It's apparently because I lost interest in a technology that someone wasn't teaching me about. I think we both dropped it, didn't we, if I'm not mistaken? Or we Didn't we do a project and then At the very end, we had to do, you said it was the, like, the, the threaded case study. Okay. It was part of the Cisco curriculum, yes. Okay. And um, we were just... I was burned out on on the Cisco. Well, I was probably burned out more on the professor than I was the Cisco, um, because Jack was very very good, but this person I was not a fan of in Cisco two or Cisco three. So it just so happened that at the end of that semester, Kim Priest came to me because see, Kim apparently knew both you and me because Kim recommended us to Scott. She said, "Look, we're starting a new program. If you're not too hot on Cisco right now, maybe you want to try that." And so the spring of 2000, which is really out of order if you think about it, you'd expect a program to start in the fall. Yes. But in the spring, we get placed into Scott's NT4 classes. Before I get there, I just want to point out, Ryan, you said you did have Scott for his A-plus class. For his A-plus class, wow. yeah. yeah I it was about uh, that. It was, a, it was a night class, one night a week class, um, the big, thick book, which I still have, Um and uh, yeah, I, you know, it was uh, Scott really made it interesting, and and that's, uh, that's interesting to hear you say it because I mean I, I remember you know mostly um, terror coming in there initially you know never I, I had trained corporate customers and, and business customers and things like that this was an entirely new thing where I just you know 
I felt like I was, you know, not your standard educator, and and I was just I kind of lost at first. And I mean, so I, apparently I was good at faking it or whatever, and getting <laughs> getting people interested. I, lo- I love technology from way back, you know. And so I guess it, if you have that, then it's kind of contagious sometimes too. But yeah, I I do remember feeling really totally lost at first and wondering, you know, um, am, am I doing what I need to do? You know, I just, I, I always wanted to be the kind of professor that I wanted to have. So Scott's class, the NT4 class was handpicked. Yes. So you went into this and I know it was in the spring. We had four classes to you, the first four Microsoft classes You'd already had the the 270 under your belt, right? Mm-hmm. Had you only taught it once? Yes. And then, and then you yeah. came into that one. But and I mean, so. you know, I, I had my A-plus certification, and um, and that was no problem because I started out in hardware electronics also. And um, at that time, there was a lot of actual repair, board-level repair going on because um, network cards cost a couple hundred bucks. And so, you know, if there was a component on the board that could be repaired, we would do that. Uh, you know, you just didn't pick them up at Walmart and, and throw them away. And so, um, but I, I felt much, much more comfortable in the networking arena because, the, you know, I was already a systems engineer with with um, Novell, certified network engineer, and, and I'd done a lot of that and then came along um, and started with the, the Microsoft networking too. And so, you know, that's something I was doing day in, day out. Um, I'd been out of the hardware for a little while, like, well, Several years actually, because I started in the in the early '90s there at doing hardware, and then I went into networking. So uh, I felt a lot better about that, or co- more comfortable, maybe. So what what do you remember, Ryan, about like uh, that that spring taking Scott's classes? Well, I remember I remember talking with uh, Kim Priest uh, about the Microsoft program, et cetera, et cetera, and um, you know I asked her who was teaching it, and she you know told me Scott, and I said, hey, I've got him for this A plus class. <laughs> I'm like, he's a pretty cool guy. I think he'll make this interesting, you know, because we were in there learning about. Um, you know, gosh, eight bit and sixteen bit ISO, you know, modems and and dip switches and, oh, and yeah. IRQs and and, and all the the old uh, jumpers, yeah, the old the old school stuff. Uh, we don't have to worry about too much anymore. But uh, yeah, but uh, but you know, he made that really interesting, and so I was like, heck yeah, let's do this. You know, I mean, that sounds. I think I think software um, in that route uh, was uh, I could see myself doing that a little bit more uh, than I could with the Cisco stuff. I don't know the the Cisco stuff, to me, I, I did lose some interest in it. I think too. Uh, I, I share your uh, your same thoughts with that. I don't necessarily think it. I, I too think it was you know just the environment that that class was taught in. But um, I, but I do also think with the Cisco side that even having seen the Microsoft side, I don't know if I could go back to the hardware side. Right. I'm right. I'm, I'm not wired that way. I don't think. Like I like the idea that. A user is going to log on to something I set up, and they're going to be able to get in there or not. I, I don't want to do the plumbing, because the plumbing people, you don't, I mean, for lack of a better way of saying it, you don't see the reward. It's like, oh, it does what it's supposed to. It's hidden behind the walls. But when someone sits down and logs on, you see tangible results as to whether they got on or didn't get on, and they'll call you if they can't print. Oh, yes, um, they will. So, But, I mean, the Cisco side... I don't know. It seems so much more utilitarian to me, uh, to a degree. It's almost some. You're almost kind of classifying it derogatorily, the plumbing, um, because I, you know, I do both. I started out, you know, hardware. Then I, I got my, you know, 
enthusiasm or, or passion for networking when I also said, you know, wow, I, I would like to get to this stuff and I can't get there. And this guy just taps a couple of keys and all of a sudden I can get there, you know. And so uh, it, it's more about like what you could you could uh, for a better term, what could you what you could do to users or with users or, or allow them access to or prevent them access to that kind of thing. And um, I, you know, it's even more amazing nowadays. But um, I, I certainly I, I don't want to, you know, belittle uh, Cisco at all because for one thing, the user logs on. The user doesn't even log on if they can't get to the server, which is exactly what Cisco's allowing you to do, generally speaking. And so um, they're very complimentary. All along, I would have people come up and say, you know, I, I was in networking first, and then I went to Cisco and, and did both. But um, And I recommend anybody learning any skill they can possibly get at any time because you never know what's going to get you a job. But um, people would say, "Should okay, let's say I can just do one. What should I do? Should I do Microsoft or should I do Cisco? And I would say at that time, and still do pretty much, um, there are lots of businesses that um, have a network, but they don't have a Cisco router. But they're doing the network, so they're on Microsoft probably. And so if you had to pick one, I would say Microsoft because, you know, your desktop operating system and everything is also Microsoft. And so um, I, I would say employability is probably higher uh, on that side of things. But then the, the area that has... M- higher demand and less supply, you know, which may be Cisco. Um, a lot of times you can get a higher paying job and stuff doing that kind of thing. So I, I don't know. I, I, I like them both. They're, they're, they are very different jobs, but you, you don't get a login if you can't contact the server, which requires the infrastructure to get there. I just told my, my classes now that we're kind of standing on the shoulders of giants. This whole infrastructure and everything is there, and we take it for granted. You know, the Internet is there. It, it's, it's almost like a utility now. It used to be, you know, just kind of a neat thing to have. You know, I can, I can get on the Internet superhighway. And now, if the Internet's not there, business is not working, everything grinds to a halt. It's like the electricity goes off. So. That's, that's true. I mean, we, we come from a generation where the it was just us geeks uh, on yes. the internet at first, and, and now everyone's on it. You know, uh, yep. so uh, and and, yeah. and it's required. You know, yeah. business runs on that. You yep. know, e business and, and all that stuff, e commerce. I guess to maybe re- reframe what I was saying is, Cisco feels more like a utility now. Like for example, we're recording this. The electricity's on, mm-hmm. and we. It's kind of a thankless job to a degree because I just take it for granted that I'm going to build a plug in something. Yes. And and, and I'll get power. Yeah. yeah. Whereas and you usually in most organizations you can set up Cisco switches, Cisco routers, and the infrastructure is set. Yes. But you're always hiring new employees, and when you're hiring new employees, new user that's, accounts. That's new user oh, accounts. Uh-huh. I can't print. I can't do this. So it's almost I I assume. You would almost get more praise because you're, you're. It's not as it's not as thankless. Uh, you're coming to the rescue more often. Yeah. yeah, you have to come to the rescue, and people see it. It's visible. They that's when they see the sign that says, "I can't log on." It yes. may be because of the Cisco router, maybe it's because of the Cisco switch. All they see is Microsoft doesn't work. Come fix this Microsoft thing. So in a way, so, that's kind of like an offhand compliment. Is that you know Cisco is very reliable. Um, you know, it's the set it and forget yeah, it. Yeah, it's a lot like Unix as as a network operating system. It's really pain in the rear end to, to configure and get all. And Cisco's like that too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, once you get it tweaked up and you get it you know set the way you want it, it pretty much does just run. 
Well, wasn't there like some backbone routers that hadn't been booted, rebooted for like 16 or 17 years at one point that they're finally like, we're going to have to take this down and bring it back up? I, I don't know, but um, <laughs> there's no way a Microsoft product would run for, you know, years even with, no. without being rebooted. Um, I don't so. know. Windows 2000. Windows 2000 was pretty good. Yeah, I, 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 do, I remember yeah. a customer though that um, was upgrading from Novell 312, which I'll always call that the Energizer Bunny because it just ran and ran and ran. Uh, I went to upgrade him to Windows 2000, and his Novell server had been up for like 972 days. And I looked at that, and I, I kind of felt guilty because I thought, you know, there's no way this Windows server is going to run for 972 days without being rebooted. It's just a, a fact of the way that is written. But he, his company needed something from Windows. They had to have Windows networking that Novell wouldn't provide for them. And so they, they had to have it. It wasn't like, I was like, well, you know, where do you see what this does to you? You know, something that they needed. It was a, it was a valid need. So we upgraded them to Windows 2000. You had even told the story one time, uh, I think even on the podcast, about a place you went to and you were hooking stuff up to their, their switch or their router. And you're like, how many computers do you all have? And they're like, we got eight computers. And you're like, but I count nine wires here. And you're talking all about the Phantom Novell server? Yes, the Phantom Novell server that got that was in like a closet, and then they sheetrocked over the closet. Over it, yeah, and it was still running. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> you you could you could tell something was there because um, IPX SPX is is Novell's um, protocol, you know, and and it's always sending out things like you know, hey, I'm here. Here's my my serial number, you know, and um, has anybody else got the same serial number? They're just very chatty, you know. Um, yeah, a lot of times you you might people are very haphazard a lot of times with their with their cabling and they won't actually go in and identify or tag each line you know so that you know where it goes and there are tools to help you find that but um, this one was like you know where 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 does this go you know I don't know and so eventually finally it, it was like you know a closet or whatever they've been um, just she rocked over and things just. That's what I call Energizer Bunny. It, you know, it's running and nobody even realizes it's still there doing its thing. You know, I, I don't even remember what was on it or, or anything. But yeah, just, <laughs> I mean, gosh, it, it, Indiana Jones and, and the, the temple of the Novell server, you know, where is that thing? <laughs> when it comes to your NT4 classes, the thing that I most remember, which at this point, did you have a computer yet, Ryan, at the house? Uh, I don't think so. Um, okay. I didn't have, I built my first computer, I think it was my, yeah, maybe it was right around that time. Yeah, when I really uh, built my first computer. I was building computers for other people um, who, you know, would say, hey, I want this. And one of the first computers I built was a Pentium 3500 uh, with 64 megs of RAM. Mm-hmm. Probably a 20 gig hard drive and a Voodoo 3 3000 graphics card in it. A la Michael Dell at the time, you know, building them in his um, dorm room. Yep. I remember my my senior year of high school, I built a machine. Well, I say I quote unquote built a machine. I had PC Doctor mm-hmm. in Huntington at Heritage Station building me a machine. It was a Pentium 2 450. Uh,. I don't remember how much RAM, maybe 128 megs of RAM, but I had them put in a um, Diamond Monster 2 3D accelerator card, and it also had an ATI uh, All-in-Wonder AGP, because the motherboard I had, it was an ASUS motherboard, it was the first AGP, so I was able to do uh, TV capture off, off coax, and I was able to still play my 3DFX games back when 3DFX was still, you know, all the rage, but... And, and I don't know if you remember doing this, but I had that and my old Dell Pentium 200 
I had them networked together at the house. I had two uh, network cards that were uh, coax. They, oh, yes. they were BNC. And the, what I did was I put the computers in the corner of my room. I had this desk that was made. It was a it was a ninety degree desk, but you were supposed to really sit right in the the, Crux, air, the yeah. arrow point of it. But I put the computers facing out each side, so that when friends came over, half life we, we could do we could do half life. We could do blood. We could do doom. Yeah. And then you didn't have to worry about the other person being able to see where you were. Now they could yes. hear the sounds. So I was already doing a little bit of networking from Cisco, but my biggest thing was I was running Windows, let's say, 98 at yeah. the house. So I really had not had any experience doing users until your class. And it really even, well, you know, we had seen Novell at the school. So we had a general yeah, gist. Yeah, a lot of students had seen Novell at the school. We had a general um, gist of what that was, but really that's when I first started seeing the business applications outside of plain old Windows 98. Right. And I mean, you know, the, the the connection, the network connections that you had between those two machines didn't require any other uh, device. You didn't have to hook it into a hub or a switch or anything like that. It's a, that whole bust apology thing. You mm-hmm. just hooked one cable to one, another cable to them, and you were up and running. Yeah. Um, and and that, so that made it pretty easy, you know, too. Only problem with that kind of cabling was, you know, one bad connection and everybody get kicked off the network. True. Um, you have to have the Terminator at the end, too. You have the Terminator. <laughs> Someone... <laughs> I think I don't remember if it was the A plus class, but it was in that same uh, <laughs> that same classroom. Someone took the Terminator off the end of the off the off the end of the bus. I don't remember if it was in that class or not. And someone stole it, and yeah. just you know, we didn't have internet access or couldn't do anything in there you for didn't a couple have days. Access. Nothing. It, uh, yeah, it was a fifty ohm Terminator that they yeah. had on, on each end of those little T connectors, and um, what it basically did was, you know. Um, uh, rebound your signal so that you know it, it would stay there and otherwise one bad connection you you didn't have a terminator on one end essentially and so um it, everybody got kicked off and that's why you don't see that kind of networking used now really at all except for sometimes in a in a like a backbone application but um because man it, it was easy to do um easy to cable cheap relatively speaking but not necessarily really reliable so well, and then, you know, that's where we first got our first introduction to NT4. And, you know, I really, I've often thought about this. If I went to some business where they had NT4, when I would, if I were to sit down at the computer right now, it would probably take me 45 minutes to an hour to reacclimate myself to, to getting onto the machine and remembering where to go. Because even now in class, if I if I pull up like uh, server two thousand eight, I'm like, wait, wait, where's server manager? I'm expecting to see this pop up. <laughs> what in this server newer, manager? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting to see this pop up in this newer technology. But you so, know what? A lot of the windows for the the basic utilities on on NT four look exactly the same on Windows twenty twelve. Yeah. Once you get there, like mm-hmm. um, DHCP, that that window looks almost exactly the same. You have a really pretty frame around it, you know, which is what you're getting from twenty twelve. But the basic networking part of that is is still what was what was always there, you know. Well, that's why, good and bad. Yeah, why reinvent the wheel, you know? Um, but because even now in twenty twelve R two in DHCP. If you don't actually expand the the tree that is your scope, when you right click on your scope, it says you can't deactivate or reactivate it. It's grayed out until you expand the scope and you can see what's below it. Then when you right click, oh magically you can activate or deactivate it. That, that, well, that, that, that that's how they get us to upgrade to the newer version of the certification. I'm just yeah. saying that's been around since NT4, that problem. Yeah. It's like 15, 20 years. So from if that it was class, easy, everybody could do it. From that's that class, um, 
I remember that when we took the summer classes, there was three of them. Yeah. I even when we took the first one, I thought this this is um, I wouldn't say maddening, but intense. It was it was intense. This was the first yeah. time I'd ever been exposed to the idea of having a class four days a week that was focused on that class That's because yeah. three hours a day too yeah. from like six to nine at night or six thirty to nine or mm-hmm. something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's because I wasn't your standard academic and you know, I looked at it and I said, Well, if we have three classes to cover or four classes to cover in a semester, say, um, I would re- because they build on each other. You know, you, you got the first one's kind of a prerequisite for the second one, which is a prerequisite for the third. It just seemed like it would be natural to me to just, okay, let's cover that first class four days a week until we get done with it. And then we'll move on to the second class four days a week until we get done with that, too. You know, I mean, that seemed to make sense to me, but it was almost like heresy in the academic world, you know, because uh, the way it's listed in the in the in the catalog and all that kind of stuff is is four classes one day a week each day you know as a separate class there was a monday night class yeah. it should have only been the monday night class and exactly. a tuesday this tuesday but, but i mean this I way i don't think that would have worked no, i don't no. think we could have juggled no. four different topics in our head a week that's right cuz you would have to be studying four separate topics and and is hard enough doing the first one you know mm-hmm. uh, but um, to be able to to uh, concentrate on that then you know sometimes one class takes a little bit longer than another or, or you're able to move along at a different pace or whatever and so that makes it more flexible too that you know we're able to adjust but um, that same model is basically how we're still offering those classes and even now uh, I'm doing that fast track program and yet and, and we're still going through and, mm-hmm. and doing those classes that that same way and it, it's just because it, it works we've yeah. been doing that for a long time I know so. um so we had the thing that I remember is it didn't feel that long until the summer class, because in the summer class you had people rollerblading by the community yeah, college the building, window. yeah, looking out the window, seeing summer escape us. Also, it was early in the day, was it not? Didn't we go in early? I think about four o'clock. Okay, I think it was. Yeah, it was still late yeah. in the evening because I I remember working. Um, yeah, and me I had too. long days because I would work you know mornings until class and then be there till nine o'clock at night, and mm-hmm. it was just ah. Uh, it was grueling. So, so yeah, <laughs> along along those lines too. When did you when did you get your first job that was IT related during college? Um, yeah, it was for an internship. Um, I uh, had a, a friend of a friend who who knew a guy who did computer work. Um, it was a very humble beginning in doing it. Um, but it was for a, a small company. It was basically a guy working out of a, a spare room in his house okay. uh, who did service contracts for local business and, and government en- entities. Um, looking back at it, it was a good learning experience for me. Um, it really, you know, I could get, get in there and get my hands dirty and get some servers set up. And um, as I was learning on it, I, you know, in, in class, I could practice it basically out in the field, um, administering users and, and setting up uh, login scripts, et cetera, et cetera, to do things. And uh, um, it really helped me out, you know, at that time. Yeah, that, that's when it really sinks in. I mean, you can yeah. talk about it and talk about it in class and, and do labs and all that kind of stuff, but it's the real-world applications right. that, that you really need to do. I mean, I I remember very, very vividly when I had to set up um, the, the probably the, the most taxing user permissions scenario I ever ran into, which was at the um, state police headquarters in um, South Charleston there. And um, they 
they they wanted to go down in what we call you know, very granular control way down from up top basically down to individual um, troopers and and the reports that they were filing that then their supervisor had to have access to and then the supervisor would do something and, and then they they you know went on up and so um, very very meticulous and so you know you had to actually try it and make sure that it worked the way you thought it would work and um, and that. People didn't see things they shouldn't see, and they were able to see the things that they should see. And so, um, I, I, obviously, I still remember because it's been a long, long time ago. But I remember having to put that into place. And I thought, yeah, I, I, I teach this stuff, and, and I go over these permissions and everything all the time. But it, it's not until you really get rubber meets the road, and is this really the way it works? And and so you you have to be able to get to do that too. So anyway, well, I know in those classes. Um I don't remember there being a lot of goofing off too much in the NT4 classes uh, because we we were learning so much. We got to do a lot of labs. I do remember a student in class installing Dameware, which is still an active software company that's out there. It allows you to do remote connections to machines and and uh, play with stuff. I remember you finding out that they installed it and the the whole idea behind it being you had had to come in and set up these computers for us to use and to mm-hmm. work on. And what this student had done was was a threat to the lab environment you had set up for us to do. And what they were doing was possibly uh, negating the hands-on experience we should be able to have. Yes. Um interfering with yes your your it's hard enough to do the lab and get it to you know function the way it's supposed to do you don't need someone else that's throwing an extra monkey in the wrench there plus uh, any kind of um uh modification or anything like that that is not specifically permitted is a violation of the acceptable use policy that students you know implicitly agree to by using the, the computers on the network and so, and I would um, almost say that would be something for the people listening out there that you may even think to apply to your job. Yes, if you're installing something on your computer that's not needed to do your do your job, that may be a violation of some some document you signed when you got hired someplace. That's right, and and then you say, well, I, I didn't know that that I wasn't allowed to do this, and they pull up that document that was one of the big stack of things that you signed when you first got hired, and they say, well, really. You agreed right here that you would never do anything like that. Is that not your signature, you know, Mr. Jones? Uh, you know, next thing you know, you're being escorted from the building. I mean, this this person though, he he would he was not only interfering with the students, but he had installed the same software on my machine, you know, with my uh, not my knowledge. And it wasn't until you know I, I realized that things weren't running the way they should that I started looking to see what services or whatever were running on the machine. And so, um, basically, I. Uh, I, I was very unhappy to say the least. And so I, I went to him and I said, listen, here's your options. You can leave my class voluntarily and I don't want to see you again, or you can hang in here. I'm going to turn you in to the authorities and we'll get you kicked out of school because it was actually a violation of the computer fair u- or user policy um, for that. And, and so it was not like, you know, I was making something up. And so he chose, as they say in, on Indiana Jones, he chose wisely, and he decided <laughs> he decided to you know bail out gracefully from the class, which you know I think was good for everybody really, rather than having to go and and prosecute that kind of a thing. So, so that that ended up wrapping up my um, my second summer at MCTC, 
technically at that point, I mean, technically even before that summer, I should have been normally graduating and you, you too as well, Ryan. So I know for me, when I got finished with that summer, I was like, I really like this stuff. I knew Scott, you'd already told us that you were going to start doing the 2000 classes. (laughs) Yes. The reason I stayed at the time was because I had a scholarship through Marshall that was a presidential scholarship. I knew I had it for four years and I thought, they don't know any better what I'm taking. So <laughs> I went ahead and took it to, to get through a third year. Um, and, and to be fair, the community college was, uh, you know, a component college of the university. It was just like college of business, yeah, I know, college but of science. I'm, I guess what I'm saying is so, like nobody at the scholarship, you know, was going to say, don't do that. Well, nobody was looking at it going, why are you taking more 200 level classes? They just yes. assumed I was working on a four year degree and I'm only two years in. So I'm going to keep on going. Yes. But so that was my motivation. My motivation was. I got a partial scholarship. My parents are cool with paying for the rest of it. I'm really enjoying this. And I had already gotten, I'd already taken all the tests so far. I think there were six because we didn't have a network essentials test. So there would have right. been six tests. I already did those. So I was already a, an MCSE at that point. Yep. And I thought 2000s out, I might as well go ahead and update. So was that a similar rationale for you, Ryan, or, or how did you approach it? Um, yeah, basically, I didn't have a scholarship. Um, I paid for it, <laughs> basically, but it was All money right, well. A paying customer. There we are, and and it was uh, it was money money well spent. Definitely, um, I was like, hey, you know, this NT four stuff was was fun. It was great to learn. Two thousand is going to be a big step up, I think, from that. There's a lot of, you know, Scott kind of went over a lot of the changes that were, you know, in the pipeline. For a lot it. more security. Yeah, Mike, that, that was really when Microsoft started getting serious about security. But I, I have to say, for you guys, you, you were a, uh, a kind of a handpicked group. Um, everybody, pretty much, that w- was in that has gone on to be, you know, has gone into good things, and. Um, so I mean I've got a, a, a few teachers that, that came out of that Patrick you know um, I've got people that have um, well Jim Jones yeah yeah also, right yeah um, Jay Jay yeah <laughs> amazingly and so um, <laughs> you know I have to give it to you because most of you that that was that was grueling you know it was grueling for me too because I basically developed that entire curriculum for you know one 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 academic year even though it started in the spring and and ended at the end of the summer and so there we were i mean i had to go completely again from scratch start over um with the new version and it it was good experience i think for all of you because once you get into it it is a never-ending learning experience and i I would say a lot of times people if i knew when when i started out that i was going to be taking tests for the rest of my life would i can would i've done this you know yes i would because it's like getting paid to do something that you would do for free, you know, because we are such geeks, and, and it's, mm-hmm. lo- it's great to be able to play with the new technology and all that kind of stuff because we are just really passionate about it. And so, you know, you, a lot of times you, you – I, I would even feel guilty. I'd be like, man, I would do this for free if if, if they only knew, you know. But um, you guys, it, it was really hard. It was it was a lot of work and everything. And then almost all of you turned right around and, and, and went back in for the, the 2000 classes. And I think you were going to say – um, hijinks may have ensued a little bit more when you guys went to there because you were much more comfortable. Well, what I remember, um, I mean, we moved from the community college building over to Corbley Hall 439, yep. which ended up being the home of the Microsoft classes. At that point, let's see, that was the uh, the fall of 2000, I believe. Yes. So from 2000 all the way to when we left in 2012 that was the home of the Microsoft classes yes it was the home even though we were um, told that we weren't supposed to be there do you remember that at that time we had to 
um, someone told us, no, no, you're not mm-hmm. supposed to be in here. And I said, oh, yes, we are. No, you're not. So no, I, I There was two to, classes that were supposed, yeah, like scheduled, and, supposedly yeah. scheduled at the same time. So I felt like the mother hen um, trooping across campus there at, at Marshall at night with my little ducklings following along behind me. And we, <laughs> we went back to our old classroom, you know, just, just to make everybody happy for that one, that one, you know, class session. And then we got it straightened out because we were actually supposed to be in there. But uh, I do. It was nighttime. You guys were following me across campus, I and I was like, "Okay, you know, I know we'll get into this other classroom. We'll be okay. It's okay, you know." So we persevered. Um, yeah, I felt like you know, Mama Partridge in the Partridge Family with everybody following along. And so you know, your two thousand classes were were different too because I don't remember in the NT four the machine Ryan sat at being anything special, my machine being anything special. Yeah, but I know what you, you're but, saying. But when you taught the two thousand classes, every single one of our computers had a city name, typically a city name that was a, a, a large city in the world. Like yes. I was I was Suva, which I don't even know where Suva's at. I'm assuming India. Um, no, Bangalore is India. Ryan, I believe you were <laughs> Moscow. You I think so. You sat beside of me. Yeah. And then my partner who was behind me, because our, our room our room was very much shaped like an M. Um, mm-hmm. there were computers against the wall and then there was a center island and those center island machines faced each other. Yes. And so when you when you backed away from your desk, there was someone directly behind you. Yeah. Which was great because I found no matter where you sat, all you had to do was turn your head ninety degrees and you could see the projector. Like yes. no one ever had a difficulty. No one ever had a monitor that was blocking their view of the projector because the monitor was not in the direct path of the projector. Yes. And that was supposed to be the way the new building was laid out, but the contractors had other plans because they're like, we don't want to run wires down a center island. That's more work for us. So well, so I, now we have rows. I, I, you're talking about the, the, the change in the curriculum there. And, and I mean, Microsoft did make an intentional change there to be more of a, an enterprise level operating system. You know, NT had been it, not really, really successful because... Um, there were there were different reasons, but a big thing was drivers. You know, a lot of a lot of manufacturers oh, didn't write wow, drivers yeah. for that, and so um, and so it it was a lot more of a local area networking kind of situation with NT4 rather than you know a, a very enterprise level thing. Also, if you'll recall, big huge thing in Windows 2000 was Active Directory, and and that is really what made that version of Windows become an enterprise level uh kind of kind of thing. You know, worldwide, and you could have people everywhere and, and everybody getting access, single sign on all that, you know, all that good stuff. And so that's why the lab was laid out that way is to make you feel more like, you know, you were in different cities all over the world. And yet we were all one big happy Microsoft family. Well, I guess it so. does make sense. I mean, I, I don't normally think about it anymore because once again, you know, the mindset has always changed and you forgot. But back in the NT4 days, the way you described your computer was simply a single label net bios name right yeah a flat hierarchy so if you were walmart and you had millions of computers uh throughout the world there could only be one computer called dave yes there could only be one computer called ryan yeah so that was going to be problematic and i remember and it was problematic just just to throw out there for people who who don't know about nt4 you could have a domain that contained up to 40,000 objects. And 40,000 objects sounds, like a, lot, sounds like a lot. But but think, that's probably 20,000 users, 20,000 computers at a bare minimum. Yes. And so Walmart is much bigger than that. And so you had to create different domains. 
And it still goes back to the idea of single name. So yeah, you're right. When when we moved to Windows 2000, we moved to Active Directory, we adopted DNS, which is what the internet was already ran on. Suddenly yep. it wasn't a single name. You could be ryan.moscow.com and I could be ryan.suva.com and we have different names. We have the same first name, but we have different last names. There's a hierarchy. Yeah, hierarchy. So yeah, that's true. And we went from PDCs and BDCs, oh, primary yes. domain controllers and backup domain controllers, to hmm. DCs. Yes, where everybody trusted everybody else. I thought, this is chaos, man. That's I thought true. they were getting more secure <laughs> and everybody's trusting you. I don't, this is terrible. I remember um, that. Yeah, we were like, everybody, implicit trust, really? So it wasn't as bad as we thought, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I find it really interesting that all these years later, you know, you guys still ask me questions like, why did you do such and such? Or, you know, wh- why why was it like this? You know, and so I, I don't have the memory that I once had. I never had the memory that you have still. So um, I, I, I have to go back and think about it or, or maybe look at things sometimes, but or look back at the curriculum and why I did choose that. And, you know, not necessarily was I right all the time, but I usually would have a reason, but um, that I wasn't, you know, that Microsoft didn't say, hey, Scott, you know, how do you think we ought to lay out the curriculum on this one? But I do know that, that that's why it went to more of an enterprise kind of a thing. But Well, I mean, I don't think I can ever think back to a time where Scott ever said anything up in any of our classes that I was like, oh, it should have been another way. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I think we were very lucky in the fact that you were not a traditional academic person. Be it as it may, I came from what we call the real world. And, and so, yeah, I always had war stories and, and everybody loved that. And I mean, they still do, you know. To, oh, yeah. I, I mean, anybody that's in a class, you know, that, that wants to do that for a living, if they're, they're going to have a little bit more respect, I think, for somebody who has actually done that. And so Absolutely. then for for them to be able to tell you things, okay, this is this is how it says in the book, but this is really the way it is in the real world because this is how it's happened to me time after time. Or, you know, how to deal with customers or, or you know, just all that kind of stuff. And so I always shared that. Um, and I think it kind of adds, you know, it, it's what I call my value-added part of that. You know, you could just read the book or you could read the book and then listen to war stories too or whatever. But, well, I um, always found as a student that – if there was the potential that the book was dry, I always thought, well, when Scott tells a story, this is this is going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting to see what happens because it's going to it's going to take that dry material and put turn it on its head to make it be more interesting for some reason. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's not that I have a story about everything, but as I said earlier, I, I always just kind of wanted to be the, the kind of professor that I would like to have. That would be non-standard, I guess, you know, because I'm kind of non-standard. But I like to know what it's really like. Mm-hmm. And, man, I, I've told you guys many times that if I, I would have just given anything to be able to take those kind of classes when I was in college, that would have really got me energized. And so I, I, I try to do the same thing still. I, I tell people, you know, some of the stories <laughs> – some of the really hilarious stories of just students and the way they act in class sometimes, you know, that kind of stuff. It's all educational, really. And so, you know. Well, I found in the, as you kind of alluded to, in the second set of classes, we'd all, we'd learned a lot. And yes, Windows 2000 was a pretty significant change, but Ryan and I already knew how to create users, how to create computers. We knew what domains were. Yeah, you, you had the background, so to speak. We had a really good background. And so there was probably about 10 of us. I feel like one side of the room was people who were coming over from NT4. And then you had the green ones. The newbies. The newbies who were on the other side of the room. And we were very separate, too. Yeah, you and were so, what's called in academia a cohort. So at um, that point, 
that's really, in my opinion, when the pranks could start. Yeah, we, we got done with a lot of labs early, I think. We kind of whizzed right through those. And, <laughs> yeah, and that side kind of, of the class, right? Yeah, we, yeah. we just got toiled, and then we toiled around and played with things. Idle um, hands. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, 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 the couple of that I remember, the one I really remember is that in the class, um, there were different domains. Best my memory serves, we were grouped together. Um, and so I was grouped with the guy behind me, Jason Birkenbaum, because... I was the fifth person in the row. So, I, you know, I was the odd man out. I had to group with the person that was in the other row beside of me. And so every single domain had the exact same admin account, administrator, and typically the same password. So you always knew what it was. And Which so, just breeds trouble. And so what I would do is I would remote desktop to his machine. And for those of you who don't know what that means, that means I'm able to connect to his machine remotely. I'm able to see his screen, see what he's doing, see all that wonderful stuff. And what I did was once I connect to his machine, I took a screenshot of his machine on your keyboard. If you hit the print screen buttons in the upper right hand corner, it goes ahead and copies whatever you're looking at on your screen to your clipboard. From there, you can open up MS Paint and then paste that in and you've got a picture of what was on your screen. So if you ever have a troubleshooting issue and you want to show somebody something, a picture is truly worth Don't a thousand words. Don't try to words. make it legitimate. You know, you, well, we saying, know where, we're going, where you're going with this. Well, I'm just thing. saying, you know, a picture is <laughs> worth a thousand words. That could be something you could do if, you, if you're not aware. And that remote desktop thing then would negate that original Dameware installation thing. Yes. You know, those, you know Microsoft That's included correct. that as part of it. So Well, because the, the hacker that originally started stuff like that, they created something called Back Orifice. Back Orifice. Which yeah, was a playoff of Back Office. Mm-hmm. And then also there was a, a program someone created called Net Netbus 2.0, I believe. I think it's what it's called, and a lot of people called it a virus, but it was it was like remote desktop. So I remote desktoped it to Jason's machine. I took a screenshot of his of his desktop, and then through Group Policy, which is the program that allows you to lock down and put rules and regulations, I went in and systematically turned off all of his icons on his desktop. I turned off his start menu. I took any entry point into said computer off. Now, you may say he's going to wonder what happens when he looks at his computer and all he sees is his desktop background with no icons, no start menu. That's where the screenshot comes into play, because in the group policy, I said your desktop wallpaper now points to this file that I took a picture of. So there is now a flat picture on his desktop. He comes in, he sits down, he sees an icon for my computer because it's what it used to be called back then. He tries to double click it and it doesn't work. He tries to click his start menu. It doesn't work. Why? I know why. Because it's a picture. He has no clue. So like for five minutes, he is really scratching his head trying to figure out what's going on. And the whole time, Ryan and I are sitting over there laughing our heads off. However, what all, almost all of that stuff is legitimate in a real business sense, except for the, the picture thing as a, as a spoof. <laughs> but the actual... Um, uh, application of group policy to to um, configure uh, someone's desktop environment is something that we do day in day out all the time, and so well, even though real- there was hijinks going on there, they were using legitimate skills actually that they would use in in a, a regular job. And in, so. in a real world function, I later went to a client who who was a steel plate company. They had a computer out on their production line of floor where all they wanted their workers to do was use a barcode scanner to scan a barcode that says, I just created a piece of steel. They didn't want to do anything else. 
So those exact same skills I used to lock the machine down, I did there, but I left one icon on their desktop that could run that barcode scanning software. So yes, that's totally a legitimate thing. But you can always have fun with it too. Yeah, I mean, I know Amazon tech support. You know, we had students there that that were tech support at Amazon also, and they had two icons on their desktop, and that was it. They took away right click. They did all that kind of stuff. One was the 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 customer support database, and the other one was the internet access. And so, yes, you know that that stuff is legitimate. I'm really just trying to legitimize your hijinks, but still, yes, um, it, it were skills that were could be used in in a in a real world situation as a legitimate. Um, responsible network administrator. <laughs> what, what do you remember uh, about 2000? <laughs> I remember. Um, didn't I? Didn't I make it so all you could run with solitaire, Patrick? If yes. I remember right, I think yes. you logged into your box, and, and that's all you could do is run solitaire. <laughs> yes, all I could run was salts. Uh, Sol exe. Yep. I think it was even auto launch too. So it would well, just come up. That's and another that's thing. Pretty much all you could do. We didn't point that out earlier, Ryan, but we could also point out that since we both had. <laughs> the Visual Basic class together, and we both had the DOS class. The DOS class allows us to create batch files. So we got very, very good at that. And at one point, we learned about this wonderful command called NetSend. NetSend, yes. And NetSend, by default, is typically turned off now. It's a service called the Windows Messenger service, but it allows you to send an alert to another computer. And I remember in the Visual Basic class and also in the DOS class, I created a program that would run a command called NetView, NetView would print you out an entire list of all of your NetBIOS names that it could learn about on the computer. And then I would pipe those names, each one, into a NetSync command. So it would be like being able to take your iPhone's contacts and hit a button that says select all and then send a text message to all of them at once. That's what I had done. And then if I remember correctly... Somebody tried this, and I'm pretty sure it was you. It was me. Yes, <laughs> in Drinko Library. Yes. yes, yeah. I was I was in Corbly, and I think you were in Drinko. So I ran mm-hmm. that command and got all the and and I and I think um, I, I had was in, it, I filtered it so it would only get the ones with with DL DL for Drinko uh, Library. <laughs> Library. So um, um, it yeah piped it out, and sure enough, he was in there. So I ran the command, and and he was we were talking on AIM mm-hmm. um, at the time, and, and he was just going nuts on AIM because. You just hear it go down the line. Do, 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 <laughs> yeah, all the way down, all the way around as, as the message came up on every, and then pe- people's heads would start turning. I mean, he was giving me a very good description of what was happening. <laughs> and uh, then someone from Computing Services came and paid me a visit. And, <laughs> yeah, the, the and, networking uh, police. Yeah, the networking police came and paid me a visit and said, Are you sending broadcast messages? And I'm like, No, what's sir. That? You know, I, <laughs> what's a broadcast message? And they just told me to leave, so I left. But. That and was, actually, yeah, that's, that was, it, it's the net command, and send is a switch for that. So there's yes. actually several different legitimate uses of the net command, yep. like net use and map net a network view, drive and right. stuff. Like that. But, um, yeah, some history on that, though. At the same time, um, nefarious people from wherever, you know, would send pop-up messages to faculty's desktops and stuff all the time that would pop up and say, you know, why don't you go to a real college and and things like that? Or why don't you, do? You, would you like to enlarge a portion of your anatomy? You know, that, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so um, we were, you know, working with women who were saying, you know, how can I enlarge something I don't even have? But um, so, you know, that, that was a problem, you know, a legitimate problem. And, um, you know, turning off NetBIOS over TCP IP is what actually stopped that on campus. And, and we ended up not getting those anymore, you know, and which would, you know, cut down on also the Drinko library kind of net send kind of a deal. 
around um, that same time in the 2000 classes, there was, a lot, there was a lot of awesome websites we found. A lot of them you'd have to go to the Wayback Machine and find. <laughs> Which but, is archive.org. Yeah, archive.org. But one of them was furniturepoorn.com. Yep. Not now, to be confused with furniture prawn. Yeah, okay. furniturepoorn.com. Yes. I will tell you up front, there is absolutely no pornography at this site. The idea is they will take a chair and put it in a very suggestive position to another chair. Like you could imagine humans doing that. But I mean, it was hilarious to show to see what you would could see there. And you can still go back if you want to check that out. Another thing yes. was um, we became very fixated with Angela Lansbury. Yeah, I don't. We're, know we're where still that not really from. sure exactly yeah. where that came from. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, Angela Lansbury, for people who don't know, was the star of a popular TV show called Murder, Murder She Wrote. wrote. Yes. Yep. She was kind of like a Perry Mason or a Matlock. She could come. She was a writer of uh, mystery of cri- stories, of, of crime novels yes. and stuff. And she would come in. Man, I'll tell you, I would never want to be in a city that Angela Lansbury was in because apparently everywhere she went, people got killed. Yeah, it was she, not. Yeah. if I were the police, I'd start to follow her around. Yeah, you know. Well, why, why is there crime following? I, I heard. Yeah. I heard on the Nerdist, someone came up with an alternate ending for that show, where. At the very end, she was it, a serial killer. It pulled, yeah, it pulls back, and she is actually inside of the cell, and she is finishing writing her last book. And on the wall, it has all these numbers she's put up of all the people she killed because they figure out she was the one that was killing them and blaming other people because she was a crack addict. Yes, from virtualcrack.net. Yes, yes, yep. and we and we always said that like if there was a problem, you know, like an IT problem. Angela Lansbury could probably go into the room with the computer, pull out a crack pipe, smoke some crack, and then she could solve the problem like that. Yep. I mean, she didn't need a certification. She could just, like, somehow smoking the crack is how she figured out who the killer was. And in the IT world, she could have solved the, the service problem that way. Yeah. Um, not to legitimize or minimize the, the, the crack addiction problem at all, but notice that the, the idea was that this website was virtualcrack.com. Oh, yeah. We hadn't talked about that one yet. Yes. You, you could go there and, um, and send virtual crack to a friend or um, acquaintance or whatever, and it would show up. And we initially, the idea was that, you know, you could get crack sent to you by Angela Lansbury. You know, well, like, and mm-hmm. these days, what people would equate that to is like Hallmark. You can send e-cards to people, yes. like happy birthday cards. But their service, you could send someone a oh, crack rock. Or yes, a and there was a wide array of choices to make Or black that. tar yep. heroin. And it, yes. you, you weren't really sending them that. You were sending them kind of an a e-card. Picture. It was yeah. an image. Yeah, it was yep. an e-card that said, you just received some crack from Ryan. Yep, it was a simpler time. It was. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was everything was funny to us at that point. <laughs> and surprisingly... None of us were on like like drugs in that regard. It was just it was, surprisingly. I like yeah. how you yeah. emphasize because we were that. just too busy well, doing other I'm things. Just, I'm just saying, like people that are listening to this must be like, man, they must. Why were they fascinated with with crack rocks and 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 crack pipes? It was we'd already gone through Scott's first classes. We needed something to uh, to keep our energy up because a lot of this we'd already heard. And the poor other side of the room, the newbies, they had like, no idea what was going no on. Idea. What, what are they, they doing? They were the ones thinking we were on crack, I think. And Scott would ask a question, and two seconds after he <laughs> asked it, we would answer it. And he'd be like, come on, guys, come on. You know, you, and we know you guys already know this. Let the other side answer. Yeah, because, you know, um, it, if uh, my dad was a, a professional golfer, and he 
told me from the very beginning, you know, don't beat somebody every time you go out with them because eventually they're going to say, well, I'm not going anymore. You're not winning any more money off of me. So, you know, if you can't be the one to to answer the question every now and then and get your ding, that's that's the thing, the bell. And so positive reinforcement, the the like hotel bell ring thing. If in my class, if if you if I ask a question and you answer it, you get a ding from the bell. And so these guys were taking an inordinate amount of of dings from the you know the people who would kind of like to do it but just weren't quick enough to answer so it, it was almost like being in a room of people with obsessive compulsive doors well yeah they would do this this is the answer this is the answer you know and so yeah you kind of had to i had to dial them back a little bit well in your test too there were some interesting there was some interesting vernacular, I guess, some interesting yes, terms yeah, you put some, into your Sometimes test. it was like a, a, an Easter egg, and sometimes it was just a, a boo-boo. Yeah. Uh, there was, you know, when your machine has a blue screen of death, when your machine dies and it reboots, there's this RAM you have in your computer that's your memory. It's it stored usually, in. It usually yeah. takes what was in your RAM and saves it to the hard drive in case you want to go back and kind of forensically investigate what was happening at the time the machine crashed. Yeah, or send file. that file to Microsoft. You yeah, know, dump file. a dump yeah. file. Yeah. Yep. And there was a, a wonderful dump. little utility called dumpexam.com. Yep. <laughs> and at that time, the original first um, Jurassic Park movie w- was out. And, and, and there was a, a scene in there where um, a different kind of dump had been taken by, you know, um, some sort of dinosaur. I think it was a Triceratops, maybe. Yeah, right. And Which, let's just say those guys really knew how to create a dump. And um, the, the, the female uh, lead in that movie had was examining that particular dump with a, a very humongous glove that went all the way up to her armpit. Mm-hmm. And, and so... Like um, what you might try to scrub your shower with. Or um, check a, a pregnant cow or something yes. with a, you know. Yeah, and so that time we didn't have computerized exams either. They were um, all written out. And so I would like to, to put in a little thing just to, to see if anybody was really paying attention to what the questions were asking. And so I, that particular one you're talking about, I remember creating it. And then, you know, when I was writing questions, I would have um, something I would call like, you know, bright, shiny penny answers that really looked like the right answer, you know, but they weren't necessarily obviously correct. And so you wanted to choose them, but I'd say, don't pick those, you know, it's like, don't pick up that bright, shiny penny. But in this case, I I just wanted to see if anybody was paying attention, you know, to what we call the distractors. And in this case, I I said, you know, which which of the following utilities would you use, for example, to um, exempt or to. Um, investigate the the contents of RAM that had been you know part part of a, a blue screen of death experience or something like that. And it was like you know dump exam, dump check, a gloved hand, you know. <laughs> so yeah, and and so you could be sitting there in a very quiet classroom while everybody's you know studiously taking the exam. And it was like you know tossing out a, a little hand grenade there or whatever, just waiting for it to go off. And so then you would hear people snicker at different times because people get to it in different you know speeds. And so, yeah, you could tell when they had gotten to that particular question or whatever. So, uh, yeah, we still remember that one vividly, but oh, that's yeah. not the only one. Yep. Um, yes. Well, I think Ryan, you you picked out the next one. Oh yes. yeah. If I recall, there was a there was a typo on an exam regarding um, computer profiles uh, with with docking stations. How you can have a docked or an undocked with a laptop uh, with a laptop, yeah, per se. Um, type of profile and uh, and sure enough uh, it, it said dicking station um, instead uh, <laughs> I know on, I mean if you'll take a look at your keyboard you'll see that the <laughs> O and the I are right next to each other and sometimes you know poor Scott got tired 
and remember, I was just a four-finger typist, and so sometimes a little bit of you know bleed over might occur there. And when you're looking at your own stuff, you know in your mind what you meant to say, and so it's very easy to go you know to, to overlook a typo. And so there was totally quiet again, you know, because they were nothing if not studious when taking a test. And so room is totally quiet, and then all of a sudden, and this could only come from Ryan Satterfield. Uh, I hear, what is a dicking station and how do I get one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm surprised autocorrect didn't pick that one up and fix it, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not why. sure that that's a, actually a real verb, but um, yeah, it, it did not pick that up. And so, you know, yep. I, I said, well, God, you know, that is embarrassing, uh, I guess. But again, it was a little bit of levity that everybody remembers. And, and you know, this is 15 years or a little oh, bit yeah. around that l- yeah. later. And so here we'll, we are. We'll, we'll still remember I that. Still, yeah. I still tell that story. Yeah. I told it just a, like a week or two ago in my classes now. I was like, yeah, you know, that happens. Well, anybody who don't, doesn't know what a docking station is, if you bring your laptop to work and you've got basically all the amenities of a desktop, you got your external monitor, you've got your external keyboard, your mouse, you can slide your laptop typically unless it's like a new you know mac air or something like that they usually yeah, which, have a you know, you're not going to see in yeah. business anyway you usually so. have a dock on the back that you can plug <laughs> in to where you can use an external monitor an external keyboard an external mouse so that while you have that plugged in you can use it as a desktop for that particular point yes so during um kind of rounding third here ryan <laughs> um during your college career um i'm, I'm curious about your it jobs how how class helped those IT jobs, vice versa, things you might have learned in the IT jobs, how those were helping uh, your class. You mentioned, and then uh, also you mentioned an internship. Was that the internship through MCTC or just like somebody who said, you can come be my apprentice? And then lastly, what you've done past college. So all all job related. Certainly. Um, well, basically, I, I'd started college actually working for Sears and taking more of a customer service approach to things. Um, I sold computers there. Um, Sears doesn't sell computers anymore. As a matter of fact, I think I sold you your first Mac, and and I'm yes. sorry I, I started you down that path, Patrick. It was it was an iMac but, uh, DV Special Edition, the very first one, the the graphite it was one. Special order graphite. I remember that, and mm-hmm. uh, I think we were paid a commission then, and I think I uh, I had a happy paycheck the 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 next round, thanks to you, Patrick. But uh, but nonetheless. Um, it was uh, just kind of a, hey, be my apprentice uh, type of thing. And, and I did use it as uh, credit uh, for the internship uh, for uh, that was required of us at this uh, community college, uh, technical college at the time. But um, basically from there, I, I stayed working there for a couple years um, afterwards. And um, uh, like I said, it was a very humbling uh, beginning. Um, we did a lot of cabling. Um, there were a lot of situations where we didn't do cabling by the book. Uh, there was a lot of things that we didn't necessarily do by the book, uh, basically. So um, that does happen um, out there in, in the world, um, certainly. And, and I found that to be frustrating. Um, so I kind of moved on from there. Um, around this time was the time of uh, the, the kind of the dot-com kaput. Uh, so jobs in IT were rather scarce. So I relied upon my selling skills that I learned, you know, working through Sears and my customer service skills. And um, I took on a position at um, a large retailer um, who specializes in selling electronics, uh, whom which I still work with to this day. And uh, it started out to be a part-time uh, position there with them. Um, then went on to be a full-time position, um, uh, working uh, kind of behind the counter where, where 
customers would bring their computers in for repair, um, basically. And uh, uh, from there, I did that for a couple years and uh, ended up relocating uh, to open up a, a brand new location up here where I did uh, uh, on-site service calls um, for the company and uh, went to people's homes and places of business uh, to do that. So uh, best of both worlds really kind of came together for me uh, when, I, when I came into that role of uh, both the IT side of things and, of course, the customer service side of things because 95% of it is, is customer service, uh, especially in the retail um, type of sector um, because, uh, yeah, that's just, you know, that's just how it rolls, well, basically. Well, boy, does good. Yep. Yes, Penny Penny agrees. <laughs> yes. Well, She's wholeheartedly in agreement. Let me, let me ask you this. You worked um, as a contractor for your internship Mm -hmm. so that was kind of um i think the term is hand to mouth you know you you wanted to make sure when you had a client that you could hopefully maintain the client because the client was your your job your lifeblood your pay um but then later on you're working for a much bigger company and even though you're getting a paycheck from them you are kind of a contractor but you are not going there as ryan satterfield you're going as a representative of said company did you find that caused your customer service skills to have to shift or to move around to a to a different angle? Um, yeah, kind of. I mean, I still, I was, you know, especially moving uh, further north to living around the Morgantown area, we were starting in a new market. Um, so I always took it upon myself to sell myself, uh, irregardless of, of the the company uniform that I was wearing or the company brand that I was representing. I mean, I was a representative of the brand. Um, so that even made things, uh, uh, it really made things more, more important to me to, uh, to really put myself out there. Not only were they getting me, they were getting the brand that comes with me, um, basically. So, um, it did make things a little more challenging in that arena that we couldn't, I couldn't pick and choose the clientele that I worked for. Um, you know, they were already company or already customers of this brand and had purchased said service or had, you know, paid for this service or scheduled said service for me to come out. Um, and, uh, that of course, you know, makes things uh, challenging. I, I know in listening to prior pod podcasts, uh, Scott has, has definitely, uh, in, enjoyed being able to pick and choose his clientele with, with regard to his contract work. Yeah, I've been on both sides of that too. Yeah. You know, you, where you're working just for the company, but you're as if you're a contractor. And, yep. um, but, but what you said about selling yourself, you want to make sure that when people do have a choice, and they do, consumers always do, that they choose you. You yep. know, they they can they can pick somebody else, or, or they can pick you. And so, if you make a good impression, you do a good job, they'll they'll come back to you. And if it's yeah. not you, it's your company at least. Exactly. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and the type of work I was doing, I mean, at the time, it, you know, I was the be all end all. I came out there uh, when when they've called like, you know, uh, uh, Linksys tech support and I've taken routers out of their trash cans before because they spent, you know, five hours on the phone with Linksys, you know, couldn't get the router to communicate with their DSL modem. Um, and of course, you know, I'd be in and out of there in, in just a few minutes and would leave the hero. And, and that was a good feeling that, you know, I could put that knowledge to use and, and help someone get their stuff going again, um, basically. And, and uh, yeah, we were, uh, uh, I was there to save the day and it was, uh, it was a good time, you know, doing that sort that type of role. It does feel good. Yeah. So absolutely. at MCTC, even though neither of us 
finished our Cisco side, we still had a pretty good, what I would consider network plus. Uh, we had we had network troubleshooting. We knew what we were doing. We had Scott's NT4 and 2000 classes. Did you find when you hit the workforce that there were any blind spots you had? Like, were there areas that you were like, oh, I didn't, I didn't get that? Because I'm thinking a potential student who could be going to MCTC or could be going to college now, I guess to reframe that question, was there something where you said to yourself, man, I wish I would have learned about X in college so that I'm not having to hit the ground running now? I think uh, for me personally, coming into the workforce, it was kind of a wake-up call. Um Realizing, you know, I've spent several years with all these people who are, are, are very knowledgeable and into computers. And, uh, you know, I've been spending time on the internet, and, and all the people on the internet are, are geeky and knowledgeable, et cetera, et cetera. And then you hit the real world uh, where all of a sudden you're the minority when it comes to all this knowledge. And so you have to really learn how to how to talk to people uh, so, talk to people on their level yeah, so, yeah <laughs> so you're saying so yeah when you say you're the minority you mean you're used to being around equals Absolutely. and suddenly you've got to uh, acclimate yourself to where you are the quote unquote quote smartest person in the room and you have to relate to them exactly yeah what what it is and so yeah. you were so accustomed to just talking geek you had to figure out how to translate geek for them yes Yes, absolutely. And I think I still see that to this day. Uh, even uh, I have a different role now where I do, I, I no longer do service calls uh, to people's homes. I uh, do remote uh, support um, and work from home. And uh, they connect to me uh, basically, and I, uh, I fix their problems remotely over the internet. And uh, even in that type of role, I see, uh, you know, newer. Um, fresh graduates, new hires coming coming up through you know our ranks um, that kind of struggle with uh, with those. It's the same challenge, you know, and, and it can be a struggle, um, you know. And I think that's something I, I did struggle with, uh, you know, for a couple years um, in doing that. I, I can remember one of the very first customers um, I had when I was working at Sears when I hit that sales floor um, was uh, was asking me questions about a radar detector, and um, I was comparing models back and forth and said, hey, here's all the different things that you can do with this one and doing that one. And they gave me the deer in headlights look. You know, and that's kind of when I knew I just kind of took a deep breath. I'm like, oh my gosh, I <laughs> completely confused this person and, and, and they'll probably never ever want to come back here again, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it takes a while, you know, before you, you gotta you learn to build rapport with people, you 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 know, learn to to speak to them on their level and and, and that's uh you know, something that, uh, you know, you may not really can teach out of a book. Yeah, but, it's a skill uh, you have to develop. Yeah, really it is do. a skill that you have to develop. And, and uh, I, it is something that um, um, I had to develop myself. But it, I think it would have been nice to um, maybe have more scenarios, um, you know, in uh, in like, say, an A-plus class or say another type of class where you have a customer who needs this. So how do you translate that to them, basically? Um, I mean, that's something that could be done, I think, mm -hmm. from, a, from a book standpoint. But And actually, that is part of A-plus now. There is a section on um, customer support and um, customer interaction. That's great. And, yeah, <laughs> because that, that, is, that is a common complaint from employers about IT people mm -hmm. is that, you know, a, a lack of soft skills or people skills. And like I said, the consumer has the choice yep. and they get to decide. So if and I would say this in class, I know I've said it, you know, probably a thousand times, if you 
can call somebody and they can come in and and they can relate to you at, at your level without making you feel stupid you know not talking down to you but you feel comfortable and you know they're going to fix it for you or you can pick somebody who comes in and kind of belittles you because you don't know this and you don't know that or they they talk geek to the whole time who are they going to call you know who are you going to call you're going to call the person that makes you feel comfortable and fixes your problem and that's how you keep making money yeah and, and so. i think for me it wasn't purposefully belittling someone or purposefully trying to be like hey i know more than you you just get used to talking in that way and it's like you have to retrain your brain on on, on picking up on those uh, those interpersonal things to, to it, really it, it, realize it's such a it, judgment you know? thing it's it a is. fine line it but is. i have seen unfortunately uh, uh, many uh kind of insecure in their own skills sure. it people sure that you know they're they're trying to prove to the customer that they know more than they do and so i'm going to do that by using the dreaded acronyms or whatever and so i know that and you don't yeah. and and that is hurtful you know to the that relationship and it's going to cost you a customer if somebody better than you comes along yep and so yep you know i always i always hit up on certain common themes a lot of times on here and so uh recently i interviewed uh greg napier and we talked about the fact that like every job matters and so along the same lines um there was a point where i worked at walmart and you know, you wouldn't think working at Walmart was that big of a deal. And at the time, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. But I know, I think I bought my digital, one of my digital cameras off of you um, when you were working at that company. And so I later worked at Walmart in the photo lab. And I would have, you're talking about your radar detector, made me think about this. I would have people come in and ask me all kinds of questions about cameras. And, you know, sometimes they would be coming to ask me questions because they were going to go to Circuit City or someplace else and buy an actual camera. But they came to me because they knew that I would tell them what it was. And Walmart themselves didn't like that. But I got so much out of that because I was able to take very technical things and break it down to the end user to allow them to understand the difference between this machine and this machine. This one doesn't have any optical zoom. This one only has digital what does that mean? Oh, if I zoom in on this, it's going to pixelate my picture. You know, I'd have people come in and say, my daughter does gymnastics. I'm not allowed to use a flash in the gymnasium. What camera should I buy? And I would say, none of them. You can't, you can't buy a machine. You cannot buy a camera that defies the laws of light. If you can't provide light in the room, you are not going to be able to, to do that. Even a $1,600 $1,600 lens is not going to give you enough light if you can't hold a steady and stuff. So I would try my best to explain to them this stuff. And I never thought about it, but really, I think that was some training that I had that was going to help me in the classroom too, because I was having to take something these people knew nothing about, break it down into to words that was going to make sense to them, analogies, like I would talk about the, the faucet being um, how, how much light you need You know, you barely have the faucet on. It's going to take a long time to fill up a glass. If you can, like, turn the faucet on full speed, it's going to take very little time. And I could explain to them what shutter speed and aperture and all that stuff was based on the amount of light with with common things they already had in their houses and stuff. And so I I imagine with the radar detector, I imagine in your other uh, lines of work, even if it wasn't computer-based and you weren't working on someone's computer, you were still finding ways to translate those complex concepts into easy to understand and digestible 
terms that they understand. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, and, and you are not working on commission there, see either. So you could be totally objective, you know, and say that this is it because you know I, you're not even looking to buy it from me. I'm just telling you like yeah. it really is. Well, I mean that, that's um, the thing too. Like I know Scott, when you talked, you never had to worry about upselling anything, right? Like you never had to say, "Oh, you're buying this. Let me also sell you a bag for it or a yeah, card." Yeah, would, would, would you like fries with that? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, because I was not a salesman. We had people that that you know that was their function. They 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 came to to me or the technical people because they they were sent like a request for quotation and and it said this is what we want and they they would come to us uh, as the tech people and they would say okay what what does it take to make that happen you know they 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 want a server that's going to support so many people you know what 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 do we have to have and so I would tell them that um, and then you know if a lot of times when you're working from an RFQ like that, it's hard to do an upsell because they say, this is what we want, period. And and then you, you have to be the low bidder too, you know? And so, but yeah, um, I, I'm not a salesman at all. I mean, I, I do like Ryan, I, I sell myself, I guess, but um, I, I don't feel like a salesman. And I know I've told customers that I don't work on commission, so I can tell you the truth. Um, and so. Did yeah. you find, you mentioned like when I bought my computer from you at Sears, and you probably had other experiences where you had to work on commission or you had to hit sales, you know, quotas. figure quotas. Yeah. Did you find that was a detriment to you on being able to explain something to a user? For me, it wasn't. Um, I always try to get the person, you know, I would always kind of start from the, here's what, you know, the highest, most expensive, expensive model will get you, you know, and then here you go down lower and here's what that'll get you, you know, and, and kind of break it down to them that way. Um, and uh, Sears was the, was the only job I'd worked uh, that had sold commission. Uh, other jobs, there were sales quotas um, involved. And, and I found really just by, you know, building a relationship or a rapport with, with, uh, with customers is, uh, was really the best thing that for me is, is what I never had any problems attaining any type of sales goals, numbers <laughs> with that regard. Um, and all, I, I did see peers, uh, struggle in that, uh, um, in that sense that, um, you know, they would immediately take someone, who was like buying a TV and try to sell them this monster cable that is, you know, gold plated, gold, gold plated, yeah. and you know, it's $150 for a three foot cable. And uh, I mean, you know, you have that in the electronics industry. Uh, and, you know, of course, we know that's just bits, you know, is all that cable sending and that gold plating isn't going to make those bits go any quicker, you know, across the line. So, uh, you know, and, and I think consumers are smart enough where they can see right through that. And, uh, um, and, and that's where a lot of those uh, individuals weren't very successful. It's, it's almost like, well, everybody's got a typical, a certain kind of mindset. And for salespeople, I think it, it's almost like a challenge, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, what, what can I, what can I sell these people? And, and they, they, they thrive on that. On the other hand, I am very uncomfortable in that kind of a situation. Yeah, I never liked that either. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, I'm not good at um, uh, trying to, to uh, get payments either, you know, to, to call up and, and say, you know, I haven't been paid yet. You know, where, where's my payment? I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a you know, debt collector kind of thing. And so I would rather not be involved in that into things. And um, sometimes I was forced to do it and, you know, but, uh, 
I think you kind of fall into the area where you feel like you're the most comfortable, the most effective, and and you tend to gravitate towards that, you know, so. Yeah, and the way, you know, anytime I would approach selling a computer, you know, they advertise the price of the computer, and people don't think about what well, else they're going to need that? with it. Exactly. You know, I'm yeah. like, you know, I would say, you know, now you're buying a laptop, you're not going to carry it around in the box, are you? You know, so they, you know, of course, it didn't make you know, are you, you're going to need a bag to yeah. carry around and, a laptop. And That's all there is to it. A lot of custom, you know? a lot of consumers want that kind of help. Sure, they, they, exactly. they come there looking for that because right. they say, I, "I, I have no idea what I'm looking at." Exactly. You know, or I, I'm, I'm technically challenged. My doctor just said that. You know, so yep. well, that that's not your thing. You know, and so that. They do come to people wanting that kind of thing, so it's not like you're necessarily trying to push it on them. It's just, it's just not my thing. But they will come and they'll say, "I know nothing about um, digital cameras. You know, I want, I want to do this. What do I need?" Yep. And so, and they're paying for your expertise. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you know. Yep, and, and that's where I think you know retail definitely still has a place. Um, you know, I mean, there was a while, uh, you know, where there was some talk. I mean, there's been a lot of electronic retailers consolidate. Go belly yes. up, and but they they've gotta they gotta do it right. Um, they've got to uh, you know uh, treat their customers right, and uh, there's still a few out there that are, are very successful. And there's something to be said for holding that thing in your hand. You Absolutely. know what I mean. And Absolutely. so, uh, and unfortunately, some people do that. They go hold it in their hand and then go buy buy it online. But um, still, you know, I remember thinking because I'm old in, in IT. You know, I'm like ancient in IT, but. Um, I remember thinking, you know, I'm, I'm not sure this e-commerce thing is going to take off because most people don't want to buy something just from a picture. But as, as consumers have become more savvy, they, they feel more and more comfortable with that. And, you know, so it, it's lent, you know, come to kind of hurt bricks and mortar people. But um, look at Amazon, you know, gosh, you can buy just about anything there. Um, yeah. But anyway. Do you know of anything, Ryan, extra on top what we haven't talked about like customer advice i know you've listened to episode uh, 10 which i believe was scott's episode on on it consulting was there any way anything that you thought about when you were listening to that that you're like oh you know i can add to that or or i can give a a a differing opinion to that or anything like i say that can help somebody who would be listening to this uh advice you might have you know i i think um and listening to his episode, it, it, the 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 first episode uh, you and Scott did um, is is one that I've listened to it several times, and it's yeah. always one of those that I can go back and listen to and take something else from it mm-hmm. every single time. I mean that that should be like a mandatory requirement before you hop into any of these classes or or, or choose this as a career track. Is like, look, listen to this. Do you are you sure you want to do this? Okay, good, you pass. You know, now you may <laughs> proceed to to the next uh, section and and go take the you know take the class and sign up for it. But um, it's it's uh, you know one of those one of those classes or one of those uh, podcasts I can go back to and listen to any time and take something from it. But um, no, he's a hundred percent right. Um, you know, and there's some tum- sometimes where you you still have to grin and bear it uh, that you don't have oh, a yeah. choice of of whether or not um, uh, you can end a relationship with a customer um, you still have to grin and bear it and and you it causes anxiety um, it really does uh, you know to sit there and 
and and be yelled at uh, to be thrown out of someone's home uh, that's happened to me uh, you know on several occasions um, to you know have threats to have things thrown at you I mean it's you know uh, these are all exceptions you know obviously but they stand out um, you know in my mind of, of situations like man you know I didn't think I didn't realize I'd be getting myself into this today you know um, <clears throat> but those things happen and you know you you, you can't uh, you have to hold your head high uh, in, in those situations. You know, if you do encounter a bad situation, don't let it, don't let it bring you down. You know, that's that's really the most important thing is because you're gonna encounter unhappy people, and you can't make everyone happy. In, in and doing you're gonna, this, you're gonna have to hold your tongue sometimes too. You've got to hold your tongue. Uh, you've got to be professional. You've got to sit there and and take a tongue lashing with a smile on your face. Concentrate on the things that you can do for the customer that you're dealing with, not the things you can't do. Never start a sentence, well, I can't do this. You know, you know, flip it around and say, here's what, well, okay, here's what I can do for you. Um, and as long as you focus on the positives when you're when you're interacting with an end user or a customer, um, you know, you'll you'll get a positive outcome really on it one way or another. They may, may not be happy with the situation, um, which you know that's okay. You're there to help them through the situation. Um, yeah, but, uh, they're, they're already upset, but it's not at you necessarily. I mean, exactly. You're you're going to be their savior. You're going to be the hero, but they don't know that yet. And so, exactly. that's right. You come into the situation, they're upset, and, and you you know that because we see it a lot. And so you just say, okay, you know, you, you realize you need to kind of tread gently, and and then in the end, they're really glad that you came or whatever, and you you hung in there and you did your thing, and you feel better about it. Absolutely, so, I, I've been in that situation. So, like I said taking the router out of the trash you know that that i remember that you know that that customer of mine uh you know like it was yesterday and he was just so irate you know and and just this that and the other going on and on and on about the tech support experience he had before and i'm like he i mean he had bought a new wireless router because he'd thrown that one away and it was junk you know thankfully there weren't any other perishable food items or anything in the trash <laughs> yeah. with it it was just in there by itself but uh, you know, i wasn't i wasn't taking banana peels off of it or anything like that you know but or worse <laughs> exactly uh, no 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 kids no diapers or anything oh, but uh, but nonetheless um <laughs> uh you know yeah absolutely i mean i, I went back and saw that, that that same customer several other times after that i mean i made such an impression you know of how i handled myself in that situation um and uh and you'll do that as long as you're there for people and 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 sit there and and just nod your head up and down and say okay you know i i see where you're coming from you know um is is i use all right i see where you're coming from i i see i use that 20 times a day um and i've used that 20 times a day for for years you know and it, and it really uh it really pays off so that's the most important thing and there was a time you know when i can remember man you know why was that person upset you know oh it wasn't you know, i know it wasn't at me you know but they still mm -hmm. weren't happy and of course i was kind of flipping the finger around on myself and examining myself i'm like no you know and and it can drive self-doubt you know into you if you're if you're uh, you know not confident in what you're doing but you you got to have confidence in what you're doing and and uh, and know that you're going into the situation and you're gonna come out with a positive outcome one little follow-up to that sure you now do uh remote uh, troubleshooting. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you are not in the customer's home. I have to imagine that adds an extra layer of complexity to the communication problem. So how 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 does how has that uh, you know helped or hurt? 
It does um, add a, a complexity to it. And you have to realize that um, and most of my communication with customers, um, it's either it's via chat, um, basically, um, via text chat or over the phone, um, basically. And, and um, you have to realize that um, some people aren't very good typists. Uh, they may use four fingers. They may use only two fingers. Um, so you have to be patient, um, basically, with them. Um, and you have to realize that... Um, you know, if someone is reading something, it may not necessarily be how it was intended for you to to for them to read it. Um, exactly, it was in their you know they're reading it in their voice that's in their head, not your voice that's in your head. So the fact that sometimes intent is hard to get across in text. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. Someone could easily easily misinterpret something. Um, so you know you have to. You have to build a rapport and do it quickly and, and, you know, use, throw an LOL in there, throw a smiley face in there, um, you know, to let, uh, let the customer know that, you know, uh, that you're happy in a good mood um, and they're working with someone who on the other end is in, a, is in a happy and a good mood. And if you're in doubt, call them up, you know, don't be afraid to speak to someone over the phone. And if you're talking to someone on the phone, smile. You know, because they can hear it. Believe it or not, they can hear it on the other end. It makes a difference if, you know, if you have a smile on your face and you're talking, um, you can hear it right now in my voice that I'm smiling. But uh, if I'm <laughs> yeah. not, you, can, you can't really tell much of a difference if I'm not smiling. Yeah. Well, I'm not <laughs> smiling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, almost, it's almost like your mouth is kind of slurring when you're not right. smiling. But when you're smiling, it just it comes out a little higher. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. The and, whole and world it, smiles with you. That's right. Yeah. Sing it, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Preach it, well, brother. Well, so, <laughs> Scott, do you have any, uh, after hearing all this, do you have any closing things you would like to throw in there? You know, I, I, I know that a lot of this stuff sounds really um, – so many aspects to, to do the job and a lot of it is um, school of hard knocks and 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 experience you know you you learn from the experiences you know getting your hands smacked or or door slammed in your face or or um, the the really positive things like you know when when I left to to come into academia I did not plan on doing any consulting and um, it really, really, really made me feel good that my several of my customers, the ones that I really wanted to do work for, tracked me down. You know, they tracked me down at Marshall and they said, "Hey, uh, hey, hi, how's it going?" You know, I was fine. And they said, um, "They said, well, you know, Penny, Penny um, was tracking you down. She wanted you to do some computer work for her." Yeah, yeah, right. Can you set up my router? Um, and, <laughs> set so, up my kibble router. <laughs> yeah, they said, you know. Um, we know we know that you're not you know at the company anymore, but we still want you to do our network. And I said, well, gosh, that's you know that's nice, but I have another job now. And they said, well, but we still want you to do that. And I and I, I mean, it just was totally surprising to me. I didn't expect it at all. And then I said, well, you know, kind of on the fly, I said, well, if I do this, you know, it, it won't be like it always was because I, I you, you do triage, right? You know, just kind of like you know you see on the, the the medical shows and stuff. If somebody's down and you know five hundred people can't work, or one person's down and they can't print, you're going to say, well, I'm I'm going to get to you with the printer here as soon as I can, but I'm stuck, you know, I'm stuck in the middle of something else that I've got to get taken care of. And so um, I would tell them that I, I'm not going to be able to drop everything and come, you know, like I, I would always do before. I might be in class, and it might take me a day to get there or whatever. And they said, okay, and they, they, they agreed to those. And then, you know, I ended up having a really rewarding uh, consulting 
you know, experience from that too. And it wasn't even something I expected. And like I said before, cool thing about that is when you are just, you are a consultant in your own right, you get to decide who you want to work for and, and who you don't want to work for. And so it's really, really um, rewarding that way because you're working with the people that you want to and that really appreciate you. So, you know, yeah, I, but I it's think experience managing the, the, the customer's expectations up front is, is yes. absolutely huge um, in, in doing this type of business. And uh, whether you're, you're, you know, doing a consulting type of role or whether you're working in a, in a corporate IT environment, you're, you're still going to encounter these these uh, customer service. You're still going to encounter it no matter what. It's unless, a big thing. And, and you're, it's, it's, uh, it's almost like, uh, you know, my recommendations for anyone, you know, want to choose this as a career path is, is go out and do sales. You know, go out and do sales. Go out and work at a customer service desk. Um, you know, while you're in college, you know, work for a retailer that offers flexible scheduling. And uh, it's it's a it's a... A, a great trial, um, and you'll learn a lot. It really is. Um, and, and I bet you know most people that it, 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 that wouldn't normally listen to something like this with us, um, they would probably be stunned to to hear that we have all these concerns and, and all these extra nuances to things that we're thinking about for them. Because all they think of us is the geek. Hey, we've been there. You know. Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard them. You know, customers would use us as their excuse. They'd say, "Well." I can't look up your stuff right now because, you know, the computer guy's here. And, and so, you know, I can't get to anything. Almost as if it's your fault that they can't do it, but you're actually there to help them. But um, I think they would really, really be surprised to think that we have all these concerns for them. We, we really want to do a good job for them. We want them to be happy. We don't want them to be upset and, and all that stuff. And so I, I think maybe we're kind of underappreciated in that respect because we really do think about all those things. So. Yeah, and I think this line of work too. I mean, I mean, I've I've talked a lot about you know some of the negative experiences I've had, but I could sit here, you know, so many positive experiences I've had in doing this. I mean, I've had people, you know, I've retrieved data back that they thought were gone from people's oh, yes. wedding pictures, and people just sit there and literally cry in my arms. <laughs> um, I've had people, you know, offer to tip me even though I couldn't accept tips. I've had. People stop me on the street. I've, I mean, I could go on and on and on. Oh yeah, about the I've had them say, "Hey, hang around. You know, we got a stripper coming later because it's such and such's birthday." Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they've they've offered me their daughters. They've offered me illegal substances. They, yeah. I mean, you name it. I, I'd love um, to stay for that, but I've got another. Uh, exactly. Something yeah, else I got to get to. Yeah, exit stage right, real quick. <laughs> yes. real quick. <laughs> and you got to still do that gracefully too. So you know. exactly. Yes. yes. Yep. But it, it is very very rewarding um, in, in doing this type of work, and it is. Um, or we wouldn't. Still do question. It. Yeah, yeah, no question about that. Well, thank you both for doing the podcast. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Ryan. No problem. And I hope everybody hey, out you there guys. has a, have have a better appreciation for uh, you know what you can look forward to in the IT realm when it comes to customer service. And um, you know, it was fun to be able to sit around and kind of reminisce and have a bit of a, oh, yeah. a little family reunion. You know, people don't realize that it's been 15 years since I've seen Ryan. And yeah, so it's just like we just slip right back into things the way they always oh, were. Absolutely. And it was great. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Well, thank Wonderful. you all. Once again, this has been Patrick Smith on Talk on Tech. And uh, join us for the next episode. But until then, have a great week.